Good afternoon. Good Wednesday to you, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. So much to get to here on the program. Connor Riley of Dog Nation will join us coming up in just a little bit. We'll look at the dogs going into a ball game this weekend with Vanderbilt. Obviously, uh, in two weeks, Arkansas, which looks to be a, a big football game uh, out there on the schedule as well. So he'll join us coming up here in just a little bit. And uh, we'll see if a couple of guys finally get in some playing time. Darnell Washington, some others potentially looking at some playing time finally uh, this weekend against Vanderbilt. Just a number of big games continuing on in college football. BJ and Ben, several, including top 15 teams uh, right here in their, our, our own backyard. You have Texas A&M and Arkansas here in the south. That's at Jerry World. Arkansas, who would have thought beginning of the season this was a top 20 matchup? But Texas A&M number seven, Arkansas at number 16, a big one there in the SEC West. Really excited for that game. And and I think we knew Texas A&M, right, was going to be in a position where they were going to play in games with national implications. But even going back a month, I mean, did any of us think that Arkansas was going to be involved in these games? So huge shout-out to Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks. Look really good against Georgia Southern. I think the springboard for their season, of course, going back a couple of weeks to that incredible atmosphere and – uh, just the way they got out on Texas early and maintained that multi-score lead. I mean, this is right now, guys, this is one of the big early season games in the SEC. And I think it's good for college football. I think it's good for, for Arkansas to kind of have, you know, some some new names there in the SEC rising to the top. This game's in Arlington, like you mentioned, Kevin. So uh, you'll have more of a national spotlight there on that game. But if Arkansas wins, I know Arkansas has Georgia coming up down the road. If Arkansas wins and they're 4-0, and Ben, you're talking about probably a team that's 13th or 14th, maybe even higher than that. If you beat top 10 A&M in the polls, K.J. Jefferson threw for about, what, 370 on Saturday against Georgia Southern. We know about the defense. We know about the running game. So I think the way Arkansas is playing right now is, is good for college football, good for the SEC, and I'm excited for this game on Saturday. I think uh, I think the one thing you're getting from Arkansas right now is they bought into what uh, Sam Pittman is selling, and you got to appreciate that. I mean, when you think about Arkansas every year, they're trying to compete against the old misses, the Mississippi States of the world, and try to make sure you know they're not they're not the bottom feeders of the SEC West. But I mean, BJ and Kevin, something I talk, BJ, you talking about Arkansas beating Texas? If they beat Texas A&M, they running the state of Texas right now. When you talk about and with Texas coming over to the SEC uh, in a couple of years, but Sam Pittman is doing an incredible job. He's shown that he's he's way more than just an incredible offensive line coach for which he still has that but I mean they seem to be playing really really good football and Kevin something you mentioned the most dangerous teams are the teams that nobody was talking about thinking about before the season and here they are beating big time talent that that makes any team danger but shout out to those Razorbacks they're saying that look man if Texas and Oklahoma is indeed coming up to the SEC then we're going to welcome them with an L and Texas A&M y'all can catch this L too if y'all don't like we did to you boys up there in Austin yeah look I, I think this is a interesting game here for Sam Pittman uh, fellas, is uh, he took over a tough situation where Arkansas was in a dire SEC losing streak. His first year is obviously a COVID year. He gets Georgia in the crossover, a full SEC schedule, and in year two has Arkansas ranked in the top 16. Now, can they stay there? They haven't played Alabama. I haven't gone through some of the games in the SEC West as of yet, but uh, is this a an Arkansas team that week in week to week is starting to look more and more like they are a legit SEC program? By legit, I don't mean obviously contenders yet, 
but they are a program that obviously can go out and win several games in the SEC. Yes, and what I like is the balance. You know, when you think about, and it feels good to be opening up with Arkansas football, talking, uh, you know, talking here in coastal Georgia, but when you go back to sort of the ebb and flow of Arkansas, right, you go back to Bobby Petrino, it's we're going to spread the ball out, we're going to throw it all over the field. Then, you know, you have Brett Bielema, and we're going to, you know, run the football and try to play Big Ten football. Then it's, okay, uh, 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 you know, Coach uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm spacing the coach from Baylor. What's Coach Morris, uh, Chad Morris, we're going to try to, you know, spread the ball around and throw it all over the field. And you've had kind of Arkansas either be extremely tilted toward the pass or extremely tilted towards the run, and now there's great balance. And I think that's what's really fun about Arkansas is, yes, they're going to line up and run the football. We know that. And that's kind of what Arkansas has done for years. And I really like Traylon Smith, averaging over five yards per carry. But Arkansas also might have the best receiver in the SEC in Traylon Burks, who I've seen projected as a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. K.J. Jefferson is going to get the ball to Burks, and they're going to throw it around. And the defense is really good. So I think Sam Pittman, Ben, has done a, a nice job of establishing balance at Arkansas and finding a team that doesn't just do one thing well, but does just about everything out there on the field pretty good. This game Saturday against A&M, especially given that it's a rivalry, is one of the big games in recent memory that Arkansas has had. Well, Sam Pittman is establishing uh, at, at Arkansas is an identity. And that, and that means that, look, they come to play every single week. I, I know that when you at Arkansas, uh, because of where you are in the SEC, because of where you are geographically, you don't get the same fanfare. You don't get the same, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, clicks that, that these other teams do. But Arkansas is a dangerous team. I mean, BJ, you talk about how much battles they show on offense. You talk about uh, they play complementary defense, and that's scary for any team. All you want at the end of the day is certain things. You want a disciplined football team, check. You want a hard-nosed football team, check. You want a team that's bought in. Well, Arkansas, they check all those boxes. So I do think that when you play an Arkansas team, don't this Kevin? Wait, wait. What well, you say? This ain't your father's Arkansas. Whatever, whatever the phrase is, this ain't the Arkansas you've grown. Up. Listen, BJ, a long ways away from the days of DMAC, right? A long ways away from that. But Arkansas is saying, listen, while the SEC is in a sense reinventing itself, everybody's going through it like a reinvention process. We don't want to be that Arkansas team that everybody's grown to say, hey man, put that as a as a as a dub on your schedule. No. What they did against Texas was very, very impressive, especially with Sarkeesian and quote the talent that they have. If they can, if they can do, if they can beat Texas A and M, man, now you talk about a team that's definitely saying, "Look, we here to play. We ain't scared of nobody. We respect everybody." But you better start respecting them Razorbacks. You gonna find yourself looking up at the L. Yeah, gonna be a huge one there at uh, at Jerry World. You got another one in the East, Tennessee at Florida. Where are we at here in in this one? Because I think this is an, at least an intriguing matchup from this standpoint. Tennessee obviously in rebuild mode in a big, big way, but they play a little bit different, trying to get up to speed, run fast, go fast, go fast. Florida coming off a long emotional game against Alabama where they were right there against the number one team in the country. Could you have a little bit of a Alabama hangover this week getting ready for Tennessee? I know Tennessee hadn't won a whole lot in this series last two decades, but if Tennessee was going to do it, might this be the scenario to make it happen. Florida coming off a tough emotional loss to Alabama and Tennessee try to get them on the rebound. I think you're going to learn a lot of, a, a lot about this Florida team because as you mentioned play, getting up for Alabama ain't the same as getting up for Tennessee, but I think I don't know if it was I don't know if it was uh fabricated or not, but somebody Josh Hypo said something like that after they big win is Florida you next. And why and why wouldn't he say that, right? But 
I think for Florida is can you can you go out there if you're Emory Jones and continue to take control of this offense not without worrying about Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, in the background. If you if you just if you just uh, Florida defense, can you continue to to kind of be the uh, to kind of like lead the way this year? So yeah, it, I, I I don't I look at football totally different, man. I could care less about records. I could care less about what hasn't happened. Josh Hyper wanted the job at Tennessee. He was the guy they coveted. They went out there and got him. His AD is now AD at UCF and not an AD, you know, at freaking Tennessee. So in Tennessee, they're always going to be a peculiar case because Tennessee has the talent to go out there and compete with anybody. But you don't really know what they what they they ran the football the first week. You know, they kind of kind of had a letdown, you know, uh, a couple of games later. But I do think that Tennessee, Florida is Tennessee, Florida. I, 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 I played in this series, and I know just when you think that one team is just miles and miles ahead of them, you know, next thing you know, you're looking at quarter upset alert. So Florida better be on their P's and Q's because Tennessee, they get tired of hearing about what they haven't done all of, what, the last 16 years. But, BJ, for me, I think it makes for a really, really good matchup in a team that's coming up like Tennessee and a team that's trying to maintain where they are in Florida and not, you know, not really have that letdown coming off of Alabama week. Yeah, I think it's a fair point, Kevin. I mean, I just looked at the uh, line. The line is 18 and a half, and I feel comfortable saying this on a Wednesday. I think it will be closer than that. I think the game will absolutely be, be, be closer than that. And you, not only do you have Florida coming off of the Alabama game, which is very physically demanding, but you have Florida coming off of a near upset. You know, all the drama, all the theater, all the excitement. I think it would be natural and understandable if Florida comes out a little bit flat early. And and I think that'll ultimately correct itself. But Tennessee's a a tricky matchup, right? And and I don't want to have too dramatic of a parallel, but think about when Paul Johnson was it was at Georgia Tech and they were running the flex bone. That was really difficult to prepare for, especially coming off of a big game. Why? Because the offense was unique. The offense presented new challenges. And I think what Tennessee tries to do with Coach Heupel, run 90 plays, no huddle, go, 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 get up to the line of scrimmage. That's a little bit different. And it is a more exaggerated version of the up-tempo than you see, you know, most teams run. I think everybody spreads you out now. But not everybody tries to get 90 or 100 plays in a game. So I think the pressure is going to be on the Florida defensive line to kind of pace yourself. Florida's depth is going to be tested. I think Hendon Hooker has given Tennessee a little bit of a spark, the Virginia Tech transfer at quarterback. So, yeah, I, I, I expect this to be closer than I think most people do. And again, that's a big one in the East. I think uh, if, if Florida were to lose that one, obviously things in Georgia's camp look a whole lot better uh, down the road with Florida having two SEC losses at that point. And obviously uh, what's behind Florida in the SEC East Probably not up to the caliber of competing with the University of Georgia. Clemson and NC State, this is one. I know Clemson back to a number nine in the poll this week, but uh, poor performance against Georgia Tech offensively. They get NC State on the road. Uh, we're waiting and waiting and waiting for this Clemson team to find themselves. Uh, is this the week that they do, or is this yet maybe another week where they could, could get upset here? Yeah, kind of hard to follow all the storylines, right, because both teams have sort of underwhelmed. NC State, in their early season showcase against Mississippi State, scored 10 points. Didn't look good. Lost at the line of scrimmage. Clemson has looked, quite honestly, terrible on offense. And my question, Kevin, Ben, is are they going to have three straight games against FBS competition where they don't do anything on offense? I don't think so. So I know back in the summer I said, keep an eye on this game. NC State and Raleigh's tough. But I think the mathematical likelihood, if you will, that Clemson's going to play Georgia and score 10, 
play Georgia Tech and score 14 and then play NC State and score 13 or 14 or 17 is is not likely. I mean, DJ Uyangalale is a, a pro quarterback. Justin Ross is an All-American receiver. I think there's just been a transition without Travis Etienne. Uh, I, I like NC State. I think they meet the talent threshold to make this game very interesting. But I do think there's sort of a market correction coming for Clemson in the other in the other way. I mean, they're last in the ACC in offense. That's not going to be the case at the end of the year. We know that. So at some point, that's going to change. So I might keep an eye on the Tigers to open it up a little bit this Saturday. I, st- I still like a team like North Carolina State because I think when you BJ with what you mentioned about Clemson wanting to open up, that opens you up for mistakes too. Trying to trying to live up to the moniker of we are Clemson and and let's face it, I mean the one thing Clemson has earned is the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to believe what our eyes is telling us. Maybe they're just not a good offense this year. They can have they can still have the best defense or one of the best defense, the best defensive line, but. I mean, give credit where credit is earned. Georgia Tech may be pro- Georgia Tech's defense could prove the same thing Georgia's defense proved that DJU it might just be too big for him right now. Doesn't mean he don't find his way as the season goes on. Because at a certain point, BJ, at what point do we believe if if another team offense is playing like Clemson's, we would say the offense ain't good, but they're gonna get all right. No, NC State can can you know definitely uh, go out there and get a big dub this weekend in a team in Clemson that you know if they. Their biggest weakness right now is supposed to be their biggest strength, and that's their freaking offense. DJU, I mean, he's going to try to push the ball down the field. Justin Ross has really not been what we thought he's been since, you know, since his true freshman year. But I, I still like NC I, I like NC State to make it to make it a game because you at home. And, and Kevin, like I say, could the ACC, ACC itself early, earlier than we thought with NC State pulling the pulling the upset. Now you don't now now that postgame press conference is going to be electric for NC State. Coach Del, he gonna he gonna light it up with the with the with the quotes. But no, I always say BJ, as much as we give credit to these usual suspects, watch out for an NC State team that still got a really, really good game and it might be this weekend. Yeah, some big games there. Notre Dame, Wisconsin going to play at Soldier Field. A big one this weekend as well. We've got so much more to get to here in hour number one. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, going to join us. We're talking Georgia and Vanderbilt coming up this week. When we come back, something that uh, has bugged me, and we'll address it next. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Something that's bothered me, I want to just see what you guys had to say about it. I saw the, and I don't know if you guys saw this, Conor McGregor threw out the first pitch at a ball game last night, and it was awful. Like, not even close to the plate. It hit the backstop, like, way over to the right. Why, why is that such a hard, I'm like, is throwing a baseball, like, such a hard thing? We see people all the time, 50 cent, terrible. We've seen so many people throw out first pitches, like, not even close. Is throwing a ball, like, that hard of a thing to do for, like, an average Joe? I'm, I'm just asking. I mean, I, I, I think it can be. I mean, I mean, I was thinking about it like this. You know, growing up, we all, you know, play, play sports, a lot of us, the sports that we like. And I know for some people, it's baseball, right? Like, Kevin, your kids are both really good at baseball, play a lot of baseball. Like, growing up, I did not play a lot of baseball. I played I – played, soccer and wasn't very good at that either but you know you have kids that play basketball football kids that swim you know whatever the sport is and if you it's not like like to me basketball is a game that even if you don't play basketball like for a rec team or a traveling team uh traveling league team growing up you still go to your buddy's house you're in the park whatever you're playing basketball it's a very easy to play on the fly kind of game same with football you may never ever ever put on a 
pair of pads or, you know, put on a helmet. But a lot of people go out and just kind of throw the football, even if you never play the game. I think a lot of people do that with soccer, too. Even if there's never a, you know, a full field and a goal and a net, you're at the beach or whatever, you're kicking the ball around. I don't know that baseball is that way. Like, if you don't have a baseball field and a bat and all that, like, I don't know that to the same extent we see with those other sports, like you're just shooting hoops or throwing a football. I don't know that growing up, if you don't play baseball, you know, because you got to have a glove. You, you know, you got to have a bat if you're going to play it to the extent we're talking about. And, like, like, I didn't play baseball when I got off of school when I was a kid. I go play basketball or go play football. So I think there are more people who are adults who you might say, oh, man, they're really athletic. You know, they're, they, 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 they can run or they can swim or they can play another sport, but they may not have had that consistent kind of uh, playing of baseball growing up. So I can understand that we see some of the first pitches and they're not great because I don't know that, like, if you were to go on the street, okay, and, and just ask 100 random people, how many of those people have tried to throw, I'm not saying they're throwing 70 miles an hour, but, but hold on a second. How many of those people have tried to stand the distance from a professional mound to a professional home plate and tried to throw the baseball at some level of velocity at a specific target? My guess would be not many. But you can't throw a strike. I mean, like I said, it's like they're not even I, – I, I look at, like, Conor McGregor's like he is a, a very world-famous athlete. He is an athletic yeah. person. Like – he can do a number Kevin, of things with his body that require coordination and skill. if you've never skill. done it, if you've never thrown a baseball like that at a small target. For, Kevin, how far is the mound from home plate in, in Major League Baseball? 60 feet, 6 inches. They're so, not I mean, up I, on I the mound most of the time. I don't, I don't know that. I don't. I mean, Ben, have you ever – Kevin, have you – how often have you thrown like a strike trying as hard as you can, guys, from 60 But they're not oh, trying oh, as hard oh, as they oh, can. Oh, it's the first pitch. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just no, throw no, the okay, ball. Okay, so – so Kevin talks about 50 Cent, right? 50 Cent seems like a pretty athletic guy, you know, pretty in shape guy. These are the worst. These are these are the worst. <laughs> these are the worst first pitches of all time. Carl Lewis, John Wall, Miss Texas, Mariah Carey, Anthony Fauci. <laughs> you know, you know who else is on this list? Snoop Dogg. You know who else is on this list, BJ? That's that's ridiculous. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has one of the worst first pitches. BJ, you said something, and I and I want to go back to it. I didn't get off the bus and throw a baseball. I didn't throw baseball with my dad. I can throw a baseball. Like I can throw a baseball. I don't have to practice it. BJ, <laughs> how often do you throw a football, BJ? In a, in a, in the course of a year, how many times do you throw a football? Infinitely in more, infinitely more times than I throw a baseball. So so so, how many times in 2020 did you throw a football? Well, I mean, I didn't really like. I didn't really go outside a whole lot. Well, average, so the average year, you do not pick up a football. The average year, no, you don't, in an, yeah, in an average, dude, we were so playing football I, every week on so on, on the weekend. So what I'm saying is, the average person doesn't do anything on average, nothing. But you took your behind out there to throw the first pitch. And that's how you look. That's ridiculous. I'm not asking you to go out there and look like you know. I mean, Nolan Ryan, but dude, the ball don't even, forget 30, 60 feet, it don't even travel 10 feet. 
I wouldn't do good. I would. I I wouldn't get it. To, I wouldn't get it to the mail or to to, to the yes, catcher. You, yes, and it, you and couldn't it throw it in a semi straight area. Whoa, 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 whoa. Once again, you you're looking at it wrong. It ain't a no, to be safe. This ain't. No one expects you to throw a strike. They'll take a random baseball player and just sit there. And hold. they don't expect you to throw the cheese. They expect you to get it to the plate and look halfway decent. Look and right, not Kevin, throw it in the Kevin, dugout. Kevin, you're a coach. You're a coach. You probably throw a baseball every week. Like, I, let's ask Christian, PJ, Cam, who, like, when's the last time y'all, and, and I don't mean like you picked it up and tossed it in the in the yard. When's the last time you, like, went through the mechanics of throwing a pitch from 60 feet away? A week ago. <laughs> for me. I mean, oh, oh. You, said Chris, you said Christian said a week no, ago? No, I said that was for me. Oh, oh. No, you're, you're a coach. I'm saying everybody else but you. For me, oh, oh. for me, the answer to that would be never. Hold never. On. So you so hold on. You don't have to. Cam just sent me a message that said years, like with five S's. And guess what? And guess <laughs> that's what? That's kind of my point. That's my point. No, 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 BJ. That's not the point. That's not the point. It's like they ain't asking every, the average American to go out there and throw the first pitch. Yep. They're asking the, arguably the greatest UFC fighter of all time. They're asking Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. They're asking Carl Lewis. No, but, but, again, B, BJ, it's, it's, again, it's not like we don't tell people, hey, you got the first pitch. Go out there and be Max Freed. No, go out there and lob it in a pseudo straight direction. And, like, they don't do that. But like, how often in the history of people's lives do you do that? Have you, you I mean, look, I'm saying, but like people have never thrown rocks and stuff or anything. It's like you can throw it at From a 60 feet away at a specific target in front of hundreds of people. Nobody cares okay, if I'm you hit the target. You just can't throw it like specific target. over at the I mean, batter's box. I mean, BJ, I mean, I'm just saying me and you was out there one time throwing the baseball on the baseball field. We we, we far away from each other. Right. Okay, hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on a second. So people have context with that. We were on like the smallest little league field of all the fields in, in, hold on, in the entire county. So does it, the man, does yes, it does it, does and, it. Uh, hold on, and nobody was there watching us. So when that I was has, throwing, has, hold on, hold on. So when I was throwing it, we were probably thirty feet away from home plate, half as far, and nobody was there watching us. And I think I had a Capri Sun in one hand and a baseball in the other. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. What what does that have to do with it? That has nothing. He can't people throw it straight. Me. That's ridiculous. People, people, people watching you does not does not hold that much weight. I mean, you he's a UFC fighter. He's had millions of people watching across the world, and he can punch a dude in the face. You can't throw to a target that's not even moving. He didn't look bad. He looked real bad. He <laughs> might be the worst. He might be worse than fifty yeah, cent right. It now. was it, it was probably the worst that I have seen. I will not tell him that to his face, but it was bad. Uh, there for Connor McGregor. We'll come back. We're talking Georgia football. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joins us next here on Three and Out. Hey, 
Good to have you along three and out on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Georgia and Vanderbilt coming up uh, this weekend, a good tune-up uh, weekend for Georgia off a uh, big win over South Carolina. Joining us from Dog Nation, Connor Riley steps in here on three and out. Connor, welcome to the show. How are you? Connor, are you there? Connor Riley joining us here on three and out. Connor, can you hear us? Hey, appreciate you coming on and and joining us. You got Vanderbilt coming up this weekend. Uh, Obviously, some guys potentially could see some playing time that haven't. uh, Darnell Washington and others. What is their status uh, for this weekend? Guys, if Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith end up playing this week, we we heard from Kirby Smart yesterday. Those guys still aren't running or working with their position groups just yet. I do think their Arkansas game is probably when you see them back, but I think right now they're still a week away. I do think maybe there's a chance uh, Dominic Blaylock gets out there. He sounds like he's getting closer. No longer a knee issue with him. He's now dealing with a hamstring injury. But as Georgia enters this tougher stretch of its schedule, it does sound like it's finally starting to get 100% healthy. So, Connor, Vanderbilt, not very good. Uh, we know Georgia's going to win this game comfortably. Entering a tougher stretch, though, after Vanderbilt, what are the coaches hoping to see and accomplish this Saturday? Yeah. I think the two things you want to see this weekend, one of them you probably will see, one of them I, I still don't think Georgia's going to be tested. The offensive line is an area I think they can continue to show that they can get better, open up holes, move things around. You saw, I think, them do a better job of that against South Carolina, certainly than they did against UAB. And then as far as the secondary, I don't think Vanderbilt has the horses on the outside to test this Georgia secondary, but I think South Carolina showed a week ago if you have a capable receiver – he might be able to do some things against the secondary still. So more reps for guys like Keely Ringo as Darian Kendrick gets more comfortable in this scheme. I don't think Vanderbilt has the ability to test this Georgia secondary, but entering an October stretch that sees Georgia play three ranked teams, possibly four ranked, uh, things get very difficult for this Georgia team. And Connor, I mean, this week, obviously, you, I mean, I know that Georgia uh, has been doing the running back by committee, but do they, do they make more of a conscious effort to kind of, you know, establish the run a little bit more, especially as you keep saying with the better games coming down the schedule? I think that's something you don't want to see this Georgia team try and do against Vanderbilt. Kirby Smart said last week after the game, they're passing offense, even with all the attrition they've had at the wide receiver position, and even with JT Daniels being in and out of lineup. It's just farther ahead than where their running game is now. And, and part of that is because of where the offensive line is. I think this group really misses Tate Ratledge and the physicality that he was going to bring to this team. So I would expect a big week out of the running backs here. I don't think they're going to settle on just one guy. I think they like the diversity of this group. You have Kenny McIntosh and James Cook who are able to do things out of the backfield, pass-catching-wise. And then Kendall Milton and Demir White are your more physical runners there. I think you're going to continue to see that as a way to keep guys fresh later on during the season. And again, obviously, this is a game where Georgia, as you said, should win uh, handily. How much do you see uh, some other guys potentially even at quarterback if Georgia gets up uh, up early and try to get a lot of snaps for guys down the depth chart? And could this uh, even be one of those games you use on uh, a guy like Brock Vandegrift who gets four games without burning eligibility? Interested to see if Brock Vandegrift travels for this game because for SEC games, you do have a 70-man travel roster limit. And deciding to bring a fourth quarterback would be pretty interesting to me. So I, I do think this is a game I think we see Carson Beck in again. You know, obviously, you had the thing what happened with Seth and Bennett last week. But this is probably the last time until at least later on in November that George is realistically going to get a chance to play a lot of these backups to get a guy like a Carson Beck or potentially a Brock Vandegrift, some real game reps there. 
And so I think if Georgia gets up big early, like I think we all expect them to do, look for them to use this game, which they didn't get last year because Vanderbilt canceled on them, a chance to get some of those younger guys some playing experience, especially on the road in a quasi-SEC environment. Connor, we've seen three games now. Uh, obviously, Georgia's look really good. But if you're evaluating the Bulldogs through the prism of this is a national championship team, have they looked like that to you through the first three games? Especially when you take into consideration that, you know, JT was pretty clearly hurt from the first play in that Clemson game. I think, you know, yes, they're going to prove themselves and play better opponents and certainly with Clemson struggling. I think Georgia's toughest game in the regular season is still to come. But everything this defense has been so far, I, in my opinion, offense or defense, it is the single best individual unit in the country as it stands right now. And this offense has an incredibly high ceiling. I think the playmakers have shown out really well so far. If JT Daniels continues to stay healthy and improve, I think this offense can match up and score points on just about anyone. So they've aced every test they've had so far. And I think you still have room to grow, which is a really sweet spot for a team as talented as this Georgia one is. I mean, Connor, I mean, how, how scary of a thought is that when you think about this defensive front? I mean, Jordan Davis and those guys, I mean, Nolan Smith and those guys, they find a way that, you know, each week you got a different guy showing up. How much better potentially can this group be, especially with what they've shown the first three weeks? I mean, it's hard to imagine them playing any better than they are. I mean, you have guys making plays all over the field. You know, that South Carolina game, they only had three sacks, but they were maybe a half second away from having six or seven. Uh, This is a just dominant group in the run game, which I think sometimes gets overlooked. But, I mean, against Clemson, they single-handedly took away Clemson's ability to run the ball and and just dared them to throw the ball, and they couldn't even do that. So this defense, and you mentioned, you know, it could be Jordan Davis one game, Nolan Smith another, Adam Anderson, Trayvon Walker, N'Kobe Dean. They have so many top-flight guys that even if they do have an injury or two, they're still going to be able to push through and make a ton of plays on this defense. I think it's pretty clearly the most talented defense Kirby Smart has built in his time at Georgia. And, you know, if they keep playing like this, they're going to be right up there for one of the, most, for one of the best defenses in the modern college football era. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Connor, through the first three weeks or so of the season, what has stood out to you uh, just looking around the SEC? I know that Arkansas game in two weeks looks a whole lot different than maybe people thinking it was going to uh, three or four weeks ago. But what has stood out to you from the league that, uh, that you have seen here in the first three weeks? Yes, I know Florida lost, and they still lost that game, but – the way Florida ran on Alabama, I think, says really interesting things about, A, this Florida team, and B, the Alabama team. I'll start with Florida first. The last two years, when Kyle Trask was under center, they made no effort to run the football. It was something they could not do. And granted, they didn't need to do it a whole lot because Kyle Trask did a lot of really good things for that passing offense. But, well, they've taken a step back here from a passing offense standpoint with Emory Jones or even Anthony Richardson as your quarterback there. Their ability to run the ball as well as they did against Alabama, to me, makes that Florida-Georgia game in October, excuse me, Georgia-Florida game, depending on where you're from, a lot more interesting uh, on Halloween weekend. And then Alabama, this team isn't the indomitable team that we saw a season ago, but you know, the fact that they were still able to go into Gainesville, a hostile environment, and come out with a win, while this team might not be as mighty as it was a season ago, they're still, I think, going to be an awfully tough out when I do think Georgia plays them in the SEC championship game at the end of the season. Of course, uh, Van built this weekend but looking ahead a couple of weeks Arkansas right now is 16th in the country we'll see if they beat Texas A&M but what kind of challenge will that be for the dogs not this Saturday but next Saturday 
obviously a more talented team than Arkansas, but Arkansas is not going to just give it to them. This is a tough physical football team. I think they get a benefit of playing this team at a noon kickoff time. Uh, we, we think back to the last time Georgia played a noon SEC kickoff game at home in the South Carolina game in 2019. That ended very badly that day. I do think A&M, or excuse me, Arkansas, regardless of what they do this weekend, and I actually think they're going to win, uh, is going to be a ranked team, and I don't think that they're going to sleepwalk through that sort of same game there. But it's going to be a challenge for Georgia to go out and play well. I think they can still not play well and win in that game. But it's going to be a real – Arkansas is going to make Georgia earn that game, and I'm really excited to see that contest. I mean, Connor, I mean, the most loved guy on any team is the backup quarterback, but I don't think there's a bigger backup quarterback or a significant player or reliable player than Stetson Bennett. Like, I, I get it. He's not JT Daniels, I mean, but at the same time, where would Georgia be, not just this year, but last year, without a guy like Stetson Bennett, who every time every time you call this number, he's, he's, he, I mean, he's, uh, he's lived up to it. I don't, I don't think he should be judged on what he didn't do against Florida and Alabama last year. Yeah, like Justin Fields couldn't beat Alabama a season ago. The best quarterbacks in the country they were, were struggling against them. And he actually had them in a position where they were up in the second half of that football game. Stetson Bennett, I, you said it perfectly, he is a great backup quarterback. If JT gets knocked out for a little bit and has to miss a drive or two while he's getting taped up, I have full confidence in Stetson Bennett. Obviously, you do have the interception last week, but I understood the process that Kirby Smart was going through there. You know, Stetson played incredible against UAB had earned, you know, the ability to be the number two quarterback. And I think there's still a lot of trust and confidence in him, even after he threw that interception against South Carolina. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 and Out. Connor, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. As always, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Connor Riley joining us here on 3 and Out is Georgia and Vanderbilt. And uh, it's probably going to be Athens Northeast uh, or Northwest there uh, this weekend in Nashville. A lot of dog fans making that trip, but – Noon kickoff, Vanderbilt, not necessarily the most raucous of a- uh, atmospheres in college football. Uh, is this a week where we maybe see Georgia sleepwalk through a uh, through a victory here? I don't think so. I just think Vanderbilt's got got, got so far to go. Uh, I mean, you saw them. I know they look better against Colorado State, and they were able to score the you know you know score the football some against uh, against uh, uh, Stanford. I think scored twenty three, and that's a good decent performance against that defense. But you go back to week one. I mean. They lost to East Tennessee State by 20. Uh, and East Tennessee State's really good for an FCS program. I don't know that they're the top team in the SOCON. So I think Georgia at the line of scrimmage is just going to be so much better. I mean, Georgia's defensive front is going to overwhelm Vanderbilt. I think Ken Seals, the Vanderbilt quarterback, when he has time, can make some throws. He's not going to have time. Uh, as we mentioned yesterday, a good chance to see some more Rocco Griffin. Uh, we'll see what he can do. Coming up this weekend, the local product for the Commodores. But in terms of, you know, maybe this game being closer than the experts think, even just early, I really don't see that just because of the, you know, dramatic difference at the line of scrimmage. You know, the, th- the thing about Georgia that people don't give enough credit for is how much respect they have for their opponents. I understand they're going to probably be the best team on the field. Uh, you know, uh, most most weeks they step on the field. Even if it's a Vanderbilt team, they're not going to look past nobody. This defense understands they got to put it on tape week in and week out because their defense even look halfway pedestrian. People going to say, oh, maybe they're not as good as they thought. So the thing about Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt either makes you look really, really good at what you do or make you look halfway average at doing it. I do think Georgia's going to get the win in a big way, but I also think that Georgia wants to understand too, we got to win the game and look the part doing it. I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna complete both of those tasks come Saturday. We've got more to come here on Three and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
Good to have you along here, three and out on this Wednesday. Thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll take three right around the corner. Also hear from Rich Styles coming up as well. And is the NFL really the no fun league? We'll get to that coming up in our number two. But Braves tonight against the Diamondbacks, BJ and Ben, three games up on the Philadelphia Phillies. Magic number is at 10 with Ian Anderson going tonight. Braves got a big win uh, with kind of Johnny Holstaff going last night against the uh, the Diamondbacks. And we've been looking at this series saying this is one you got to take advantage of uh, to try to finish this thing up. If you could sweep this series, maybe be four or five games up, headed into the weekend. You've got San Diego, Philadelphia, and the Mets. Like to be able to uh, to get to that Philadelphia series next week, maybe only needing to win one of three to put that thing to bed. Yeah, and then close the door against the Mets there in the final series. But uh, I thought the bullpen did great. I was a little nervous going into yesterday with some of the talks of, okay, we're going to get through this, and it's going to be Chavez. It's going to be, you know, Smiley. It's going to be a collection of guys out of the bullpen, uh, Jacob Webb. And they did a nice job. They did a really nice job. And the Braves offense got going. I mean, this lineup, Solaire and Duvall and – Darno now, in addition to Freddie Freeman, of course, and Ozzie Albies and uh, Austin Riley, who just continues to be great at the plate and defensively, for that matter. It's a fun team to watch. And, Kevin, I was kind of scoreboard watching last night, Ben, because I don't know if you guys saw, the Orioles beat the Phillies in game one. They took them into extras last night, and Philadelphia was able to win by one run. But uh, some of these teams, the Diamondbacks, the Orioles, are doing their best to help the Braves out here down the stretch. Give this Braves team a lot of credit. I mean, they find a way to control what they can control, right? And I mean, I mean, Kevin, I mean, we talk about, I mean, I know it's going to be a lot of storylines at the end of this year, hopefully ending with a, you know, uh, you know, uh, with another, with another division, uh, you know, championship. But I think with so many, with so much talk about Dansby, with so much talk about Ozzy and Freddie and so Lair and the additions, could this season, I mean, we're we, we not talking about Austin Riley enough because, once again, coming into this season, it was, is he good enough to be the, the everyday starter at third? And you looking at what he's doing, we, he's so good offensively. We, BJ, as you mentioned, we forget how good he is defensively. So while we while we waiting on Austin Riley to turn the corner, he turned turn the, turn the corner in a huge way, uh, being a potential MVP candidate, even if it's a dark horse or not. I mean, Kevin, what would – what grade would you give Mr. Austin Riley with everything that was up against him? He seemed to have answered the bell in a huge way. Yeah, I mean, I think Austin Riley, you know, A-plus from where he was. I think, uh, you know, Christian and I were talking in the uh, the office. Why is he getting more – is not getting more MVP talk? I think Freddie Freeman should be getting uh, some MVP talk there as well. But, yeah, this is a guy that people were questioning in uh, April and early May saying, is this a guy that has trade potential? Could you move him and find somebody else that could potentially come in and be a better uh, player every single day? Now people are saying, oh, he's an MVP candidate. He's hitting over 30 home runs. He's mashing the baseball. And I think if you've watched his career in the minor leagues, this is the Austin Riley that you knew he could be eventually uh, when, when he got up to the major leagues. A guy that could play solid third base and a guy that could mash the ball. And that's what he's doing. And, and, and now you're looking at a situation where this is a Braves team uh, with Jorge Soler. Could you get him to come back? I think a lot of people do. Adam Duvall, could you get him to come back with Acuna back healthy? Uh, you're looking at a lineup where almost everybody in the lineup has shown at least 20 home run power, and most of them 25 to 30 home run power. BJ could be one of the most lethal offenses in Major League Baseball. The balance is incredible, and 
I think we were chatting with some Braves analysts a couple of weeks ago who were talking about not only did the moves bring good players into the Atlanta organization, Solaire with his resume, Duvall with his resume, but it made the lineup deeper. It made the lineup longer. Whereas in the past, maybe you would look at the Braves lineup, Kevin, and say, hey, once we get through one, two, three, four, we're going to be all right. We're going to manage this thing. Now you have the National League RBI leader batting fifth. Now you have a former all-star batting sixth. Now you might have on a night Dansby Swanson with 25 home runs batting seventh. It really is incredible. Sir. The Braves team, I mean, not to cut you off, Kevin, I was just going to say that chemistry is real. I know I talk about it every year, but it seems to be, uh, you know, keep it shape. Yeah. Let's hope they really bring it together here down the stretch. Hour two next here on 3 and Out. Back nine boys, a golf show coming up in just a little bit. Also, is the NFL is it going to the No Fun League? I know maybe you argue it's been that in certain aspects, but uh, we'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit. But first, let's take three here on three and out. All right, fellas, take one. Is Matt Corral the best quarterback in college football? Probably. I think I'm good with that. You know, you look around the country, and Matt's been great. Uh, Ole Miss has been fantastic offensively, and he's the starting point for that. They just scored, what, 61 on Tulane on Saturday, uh, put up over 40 on Louisville back in week one. Matt Corral not only is throwing the football and completing his passes, he's throwing the football downfield, and he's running. That's a new element to his game that we haven't seen to this extent. I know he you know, was able to run for a couple hundred yards last year, but on Saturday against Tulane, he had four rushing touchdowns, four, and three passing touchdowns. I mean, that is about as good as it gets. So I think uh, Cam maybe said this the other day when we were talking, Corral's one issue, and Ben, you say this about Sam Howell, is every now and then he'll throw some interceptions. And I think he's done a better job this season of limiting those numbers compared to earlier in his career. So I'm good with Corral. Uh, if you want to have a 1B in there, I would probably say Grayson McCall out of Coastal Carolina. He leads the nation in completion percentage. Right now, his passer rating is over 212. That would break Mac Jones's single season record that he just set a year ago. Uh, McCall was great as a freshman. As a sophomore, he's somehow been even better. So uh, Rattler's up there, obviously. I think Malik Willis is up there. I think Desmond Ritter's up there. Uh, I think there are a couple of guys around the country you look at, but I'm good with Matt Corral, number one. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say Desmond Ritter. I think he's a really, really good player, BJ. I know, I know, BJ, I mean, you've been on the Grayson McCall train for a minute, but, I mean, the kid is living up to the billing when you look at every time. You know, he plays football as if to say, you, as if you've never seen him play. But I think it is, I think it is Matt Corral, BJ, for everything you said and more. And Matt Corral has a guy, Lane Kiffin, who's going to utilize everything he does. Had four rushing touchdowns last week. If Matt Corral was at Alabama, Matt Corral was at Georgia, Matt Corral was at Florida, which – and if we gonna get into that, what would we be saying about him? But he's doing it at Ole Miss. I mean, and people talk about this. Last year, you know, Florida played Florida played Alabama very, very well. The team that played him probably the second best would be Ole Miss. And how much so the thing about a guy like Matt Corral, he doesn't have any flaws. And I'm gonna say this: when you throw the ball to the other team, sometimes that means you taking risks. That means you being aggressive. That means you're not trying to sit back and hope for the best. So I, I can I can live with that. But a guy that can potentially give me four rushing touchdowns, that's good for a season for most quarterbacks. He did it in one game. So yes, it's Matt Corral. He's gonna definitely make an NFL franchise very happy here in 2022. Hey Kevin, just for clarity, next time we play old man football and I throw picks, 
I'm just gonna say, look, I was trusting my arm. I'm taking no, no, risks. No, 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 I'm no, being no, aggressive. No, no, no. No, 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 no. We're talking about people who are athletic. We're talking about people that this is what they do. Not a person who wants the team to be uneven so he don't have to play defense. No, no. Just don't run a 20-yard route, Jenkins. I do. <laughs> Take two. Should big-time regular season games be played at neutral sites? This is a trending thing there on Twitter where people are talking about their disdain for neutral site games in college football. I like it. Uh, I'm not saying every single big game has to be this way, but I think I think it is fun. Uh, ben, I know you you talked about what you and Christian and Cody going down to Florida, Miami a couple of years ago, and uh, Cody saying, "Hey, this is an atmosphere I've never seen anything like this," and it, it it can be that way. You know, a lot of folks listening probably have been to Georgia, Florida, and there are a few experiences like that in college football because it's so unique. And I'm not taking anything away from a game day in the swamp or a game day between the hedges or, or, or wherever. A home Saturday is very special. But every couple of years, have a have a game that's that's at a separate venue. I know Georgia Tech has played in the bins this weekend against North Carolina. It's a it, and and that's not the best example of this. But for a lot of these games, it's a way to introduce your brand in a new market. It's a way to get your players another experience. I mean, think about this: if you're North Carolina, I know the Georgia Tech guys have probably been there, but you're playing in Mercedes Benz. I mean, one of the best stadiums on earth. And I think that's a cool experience. Uh, I think we've seen, you know, the the uh, early season games in Atlanta be really, uh, really well received. I think the games in Orlando, the games in Arlington. I think it's cool that Arkansas, Texas A&M is, is in Arlington. I, I, I believe next year, Florida State and LSU open in New Orleans and Georgia and Oregon open in Atlanta. I think those games are fun and uh, good for kind of mixing it up and uh, having something new in college football. Yeah, I like it. I, you know, I, I do agree. I don't want to have all the big games be neutral side games, but yeah, it does. It does. It just adds to the pageantry of college football. I mean, some of these stadiums they never seen how it's going to be rocking when you get, Mija, as you mentioned, you know, a Florida State and an LSU, a Georgia and an Oregon, or you know, North Carolina, Georgia Tech this weekend. I think I think those type of things. You know, the college atmosphere in these NFL stadiums. I mean, I know the Georgia, Florida, Florida, Georgia. Uh, you know, whichever whichever way you want to call that is always. It, it wouldn't even seem right. If Florida played at Georgia, or Georgia played at Florida. I mean, Georgia already thinks that Florida has a competitive advantage because it's in the state of Florida. You talk about the Red River rivalry. I mean, BJ and Kevin, something I was saying. I mean, how long, you know, before that becomes, you know, uh, in Atlanta because they coming to uh, to the SEC. But I just do think that when you, I mean, let's face, and let's look at it another way. A lot of these college athletes, they will not go pro, so they get a chance to play in a pro state, and that stuff is that stuff is very very prestigious to them, and it means a whole lot. So yeah, whenever you can. Uh, fill up a, a, a NFL stadium with these college teams. I mean, I, I, I definitely think it adds to it. I, I mean, I could take it or leave it. I, I like it at the beginning of the year, kind of the kickoff to the college football season. It's a lot of fun. I don't know that I need it every week, quite frankly, in college football. There are some where it's kind of become tradition, Texas, Oklahoma. But, I mean, but I mean Kevin, do, do you have it every week? I mean, once we get into I mean, week I mean, seven, I, eight, well, I mean, Georgia Tech's playing North Carolina in Mercedes-Benz. That's not their home stadium. I mean, oh, no, but you're, is, you're starting but to see that more and more. Texas and Arkansas are playing in Jerry World, not playing at either one of their stadiums. Yeah, but again, it's it, we, we see it in the opening month. I mean, what, what games in November are played in neutral sites? Well, depending on how it falls on the calendar, Georgia-Florida. Well, Georgia-Florida's at the end of October, but I mean, but I mean, what games... Right, and if Halloween's on a Friday, they play on November 1st on a Saturday. So, but I mean, like, look, I, well, 
You asked a question, and we're getting some. No, I'm saying you said week to week. I mean, you said we see it week to week. I mean, do we see it week to week? Uh, I think we do. I think in week two we saw it in uh, what Texas A&M went to Denver and played Colorado. You're seeing it this week uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I th- okay, well, outside of Georgia-Florida being potentially once every seven years on November 1st, what games in November are played on a neutral site? I think we'll see more of it. Uh, they're usually conference games, and the conferences won't do it, but I do think non-conference games, you may see more of it, and I'm not a huge fan of it. I, again, I, I think uh, week one, I'm okay. I, I don't need to see a lot of regular season non-conference games in neutral sites. I just... Doesn't do anything for me. College football is about the home environment. If you want to do a home-and-home, let them both have a home game. Let their fans experience it. I I, I think that's more to me what it's all about. I get it. To open the week, to open the season, end the season, fine. But I don't really see much need for it throughout the year. And we're starting to see a little bit of that moving around. I mean, we what, Central Florida was trying to – and Florida were trying to play, what, in Orlando, just not at Central Florida's place? I mean, we, we see it all the time where, you know, Alabama and Florida have played in Jacksonville. Why? Just because. So, uh, I, I think uh, I think you have started to see of it see it happen a little bit more in college football. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of it happening as much as maybe people want it to happen. Week one, just, two or three games, Kevin, I'm cool Kevin, with it. Kevin, just letting you know. I mean, are we all geeked about seeing Georgia-Oregon? Yes. Would Georgia-Oregon be cooler in Alston and in uh, Sanford Stadium? Absolutely. Yes, just kind of my two cents on that. All right, moving along, take three, National Temperature Control Day. And this is something that everybody fights with in their own homes and office buildings. What is the ideal temperature if you can control it? I mean, I normally like it a little bit colder. You know, my parents keep their house, like, super hot. I go in there, and they, uh, but maybe, maybe in my house it probably ends up being around 75 now if i had full and complete control you know over the air conditioning it would probably be a few degrees cooler but it is not so probably in my house 75 i could probably and and look we're talking about the difference in one or two degrees being a big deal here people so 74 degrees i could appreciate that 73 might be ideal but anywhere in kind of the 73 to 75 range is pretty good since I've been having to pay my electric bill, I keep it. I keep it around, Kevin. I keep it around that that 75, 76, you know, maybe because I because I want to keep that. I want to keep that balance. I don't want to be having to talk to the manager when I got to go pay my bill. But if I'm at my parents' house, you know, and I and I'm upstairs in their crib, I mean, my daddy be like, hey, when he goes, that that bill was kind of hot this week. I like, yeah, y'all y'all need to come. No, that was because of me. Now, 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 now. If I if I'm if I'm, you know, if, if 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 the seldom time that I am traveling and I get to be in a hotel as low as it will go, I'm talking about, I'm talking about so cold to the way you, I mean, you up the covers like this. Because let me tell you something, this is a southern thing. I refuse to sleep high. I'm not doing it. I am not going to sleep sweating, people. So when it comes to my house, when my kids there, they, you know, they, they little fingers. I'm like, don't touch it. That's what they made. That's what they made this thing called it <clears throat> a fan, not a ceiling fan. I'm talking about the ones you got to plug in. We're gonna get that, we're gonna get that air blow uh, going back and forth. But around, around, you know, 75, 76, as Kevin one time, I feel a little, I, you know, I feel a little Kevin Thomas and we like 69. And I said, oh Lord, this bill is ridiculous. I only did it for a night. Oh my God. So you know. I don't dip it under 70. That's crazy. <laughs> 
But, but you are right. When it's it is different when it's uh, when it's the uh, the hotel and it's not your bill. It's a meat locker in there. It's like just go ahead and just go ahead and drop it down. It's fine. That's take three. We do it every day. This time again, we solved a lot of problems. Neutral site games, temperature control situations going on uh, there as well. That's take three. We do it each and every day here at this time. We've got more to come. Here on 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, on your mobile device with the ESPN app, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Style Points. With the Back Nine Boys, Rich Styles. It's all things golf. Style Points on 3 and Out. Now let's tee it up with Rich. And that's how she wrote. It's gonna be dangerous. They let me <laughs> handle Rich for the week, so we'll uh, we'll see how this goes. Christian Gokel here, the legendary Rich Styles. You can hear him every Saturday and Sunday morning on the back nine, the award-winning back nine boys golf show. Uh, Rich, before we dive into the Ryder Cup, what you guys got coming up this weekend? Uh, coming up this weekend, we're going to be talking with a guy that has started a new apparel company called Golf. at the Ryder Cup, so we actually will have a live report from the Ryder Cup. And then a caddy who is caddied in the Ryder Cup will also be on the show. And Rich, let's talk about the Ryder Cup. We're in Sheboygan, Wisconsin at Whistling Straits, and we were kind of discussing before the segment, more of a European-style course, right? Not a lot of trees, kind nope. of rolling hills, dunes kind of looking. Lots of uh, yeah. elevation, sand traps very deep. I mean, all guarding the greens which is a peat dye uh, it's visually impaired as far as if you look down the tee to where the pin is all along there you see danger so yeah. these guys even though you got 24 very good golfers in the world it's still going to be visually challenging for them to be able to put all of that out of the way sand traps elevation hills, valleys, and focus on that area around the pin on their first, second, or third shots, depending on what kind of a hole it is. One of those courses where even if you think you hit it in the correct part of the fairway, it can just take a kick, yep. and all of a sudden you're in a really bad spot. Yep, or roll out and, right. and get into a very bad spot. They've got a par four that is going to play very, very long, 518 yards wow. with no wind. So if you figure there's going to be some kind of wind, which there will at this time of the year, especially up in Wisconsin, yeah, especially it's a little bit crisper. off, of, off yeah. of Lake Michigan, uh, it's going to play long. It's going to play really long. And I think the back nine, most of the time, you will see the matches won by hole 16. Okay. <clears throat> 17 is a very long 180 with no wind, par 3, and then a very difficult 18. So if it goes past 16, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and that's where a lot of the drama is going to happen on Sunday when you have the singles matches. So it sounds like to me it kind of evens out because when I hear windy with rough terrain, I think that favors more the Europeans because they know how to hit those low driving shots and kind of roll the ball out better. Like it we is. said, kind of the link style play. But when I hear long, to me with some of the, I guess, power bats, you have in the lineup for the Americans. Yep. So I, I kind of feel like that evens out a little bit. Well, and you're also going to see Bryson do some things that he probably shouldn't do, uh, but there is a short par four, right. and he'll 340. 
he'll try and drive it. Uh, he has in the practice rounds. I'm sure he'll do that depending upon the wind and all the other things, but I'm sure he will still try. Um, and that could be dangerous, especially when you're in an alternate shot, which is your first four matches um, on Friday morning. And here's the thing that I, in doing research, usually who's ever ahead on day one wins the Ryder Cup most of the time. And so Bryson will be a part of one of those alternating shot? Oh, yeah. I'm sure yeah. he'll be up in, in, in the first I, I, group. I wondered if they use him in just like one of the head-to-head matchups and just say oh, like will. and just say listen if, if you win you win just go for it yep don't try to try don't try to like draw back and, and play your game just you're bryson if you can and just muscle the ball and you're hitting the ball well today great if not don't worry about it it's just one match i'm sure his strategy yeah uh, will be let me drive on these holes mm -hmm. and he will pick the hardest holes or the longest holes because I'm a better driver. I don't want to be the second shot on that, though, when he, exactly doesn't, right. when he doesn't hit it right. Oh, yeah, because the rough is going to be high. The penalties are going to be a lot because of the sand traps and the valleys and the drops that are off. And, uh, you know, he could either really help you or he could really hurt you. And in the President's Cup, he was 0-3-0. He lost yeah. every match he was in. So that's going to be interesting who they pair him with. Well, we have, I believe, six rookies making their debut yes. for the Americans. Who are a couple that you're looking at that could be really beneficial to this group? Well, I think Colin Marukawa could be good. Yep. I think Harris English is going to be good because he's level-headed. He hits the ball straight. He hits the ball far. Um, uh, I think, you know, from a rookie standpoint, you've got rookie standpoints that are on the team who have won majors. Right. The six people who qualified for the U.S. team have not been playing that well. The six picks who were chosen have been playing very well. So I think you may have these rookies coming up representing their country. They're going to be nervous on the first tee. Then they're going to settle down. I think you're going to see the six rookies uh, play very well. And if you look at previous experience, the Europeans have uh, 38 wins where the Americans have 12. Players with five-plus appearances on the Ryder Cup team, Europeans have four, U.S. none. Overall record, Europeans 77 wins, USA 24 wins. And total points with experience from both teams, Europe 89 points, USA 25 and a half points. Wow. And U.S. has lost nine of the last 12 Ryder Cups. Well, I was going to say, so like all, everything you were saying there with how many points and experience and wins that the Europeans have coming back, and then obviously the overall record for the United States, maybe that's not such a bad thing that you have so much new blood coming in Correct. because if it wasn't working before, let's try something new. Well, here's the other thing. There is no player. The average age on the U.S. team is 29.5 or something like that. I was going to say, like, like Justin like Thomas is like an old dude. Oh, yeah. And Brooks, exactly. and Brooks he has Kepka, the most experience. Yeah, Brooks and he Kepka's has, an old guy out yeah, there. And yeah, and he has the best records. Yeah. And so nobody is over the age of 40 on the U.S. team. There are players over 40 on the European team. So yeah, it's, Sergio's it's, out there for them. And, right. Uh, you've got Ian, Ian Poulter. Poulter yeah. Right. So you've got some guys. But it's the first time since the early 90s that Tiger or Phil have not been a player on a Ryder Cup team which really should be interesting. What has been Tiger's involvement with this I Ryder Cup team? I think he's going to be involved, but I think it'll be from his house yeah. uh, uh, because he's still recovering. And I think he'll be in touch with 
Stricker, I think with Davis Love, with some of the other vice captains, and he'll be doing strategery for, as, yeah. you know, for them as well. Um, and I think he'll be very much in, in communication. I was going to say, how competitive do you think he is about this? Cup? Oh, I think he's super competitive. He wants the USA Even to win. Even if he can't move. He's, right. Yeah. They got trounced in Paris. Yeah. I mean, trounced in Paris. They lost by seven points. So this is a biggie. They need 14 and a half points to win the cup back. Europe needs 14 to keep it. And if there is a tie, Europe gets it because they yeah. won it last year. And again, just looking at this and with all the people selected, how much of the way the course plays do you think went into selecting some of those guys? Uh, I think a lot. I yeah. mean, uh, especially your six picks because you have the six qualifiers sure. and especially with the picks. I think they were going for guys who have a good uh, percentage of fairways hit, who can hit the greens, who putt well. I've heard people say Harris English is the best putter on the team. So you're going to put him with somebody maybe like Tony Finau. Right. Uh, those guys would be a dynamite team. Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, great. In the President's Cup, they were 3-1. and one. They did unbelievable. So you've got some really good chemistry teams for the U.S., and I think that's going to be the key. Are they going to open up as a team and they're in four pods or three pods with four players in each pod? And Harris is in the first pod. Uh, Brooks is in the third. Right. And it's just a point of that's what they've been doing this whole week. They've been playing with the people in their pod. Again, a couple of guys that haven't been playing great lately, but just the names, and we've seen them win in the past, Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth. Yeah. How big do they need to be? They need to be big. I mean, uh, Jordan's trending, uh, but he's didn't have a great year. Uh, Dustin Johnson had a very quiet year for a Dustin Johnson year. Yeah. Um, uh, they've got a lot of wins. Uh, they've made a lot of money, but I think they've really got to show up. Everybody on the U.S. team has got to show up and not let up. Flip side of it. Two guys, I think, that are playing pretty good golf. One guy recently, and he had had struggles, but one guy just consistently throughout the year. Uh, John Rahm has been phenomenal hey, throughout yes. the year. Yep. Rory McIlroy, a lot of people think just the way this course <coughs> plays and with the way his game's been trending, at least mentally, he's in for a big week. Plus, he's excited. I yeah. mean, he is pumped to play in the Ryder Cup. This really gets him up. As, right. So he and Ian Poulter are going to be the guys that are just going to be uh, unbelievably excited and, uh, you know, want to be there. But here's the other thing. Who's going to play all five rounds? I think Justin Thomas will for the U.S., and I think Victor Hovland will for yeah. the European team. He's young. He's consistent. He can take the pressure. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But day one is going to be key. You got a prediction for us? Well, the U.S. is favored. So I'm, I'm, I got to go U.S.A., there we go. Rich Stiles. Again, you can hear updates coming up on Saturday and Sunday from Rich Stiles on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show coming up again Saturday and Sunday morning. Rich, Rich we really appreciate it, man. Thanks. We're go back to talking college football. This has been your regularly scheduled golf break here. I can't wait. I mean, it's just something that I just can't wait every year to hear Ben talk about. What is it? Flor uh, Flor uh, Florida. Yeah, I think, I think he might have played there. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. As I look around the studio and see him and yeah, his attendance different his, classes was not good, but well, he was there. We'll ask him about that. Rich Dow's back nine boys show. You can hear him on Saturday and Sunday morning. We'll be right back here on Three and Out. Good to have you along here, Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin BJ and Ben and a lot of folks talking about the NFL. The no fun league is back uh, with all the taunting penalties that were thrown 
uh, over the weekend, Ben and BJ. And uh, again, is there is it free reign? Do what you want, or should there be? Should there even be a taunting penalty in in the National Football League? And are they maybe taking it a little too far here? Yes, they're taking it. I mean, BJ, I mean, yes, they're taking it way too far. This is why. You know how hard it is to be successful in the NFL. You know how hard it is to have, you know, any level of continued success in the NFL. So you're telling me, I make a big play. I spin the football. I talk a little trash. I might get up in the face of my opponent. Taunting. And Ron Rivera, you know, I mean, and I'm so happy that his cancer went into remission. I mean, Riverboat Ron, he's on the commission's committee. He said the reason why you do it is because you're trying to prevent a fight. He said, you know, one guy gets the best of another guy, then, you know, you, you know, you want to get a little get back. But then, he, but then in that same breath, he says, but well, we want the guys to keep their personalities. This is coming from the same coach who in 2015, they were dabbing and taking pictures and all kind of stuff when he was with the Panthers. I think that if a player goes out there and does his job, and he says something to his opponent. That's a, that that's fair game. That is not taunting. That is not that shouldn't uh, you know come with a come with a, a penalty or a flag. And listen, if I if I celebrate on you after a big play, I expect you to come back at me if you make a big play on me. That's football. You take that out, and then this notion of we're role models. Get out of here with that, man. Little kids talk trash. That that that's not unsportsmanlike conduct and all this other type of stuff. So for me, I think they're doing way too much because now. You want players to start getting robotic? Tyreek Hill get a touchdown, and he just hands. Listen, I love Barry Sanders, and I love uh, Larry Fitzgerald, but I don't want to just be handing the ball to the ref and shaking hand. No, talk a little trash. Listen, I know, I know, Kevin is not with the bat flip. Well, I want you to bat flip every play you can in the NFL because it's hard to do what you're doing, and it's not easy to do it. So yeah, I, I just think that why the NFL are trying to quote cut down on stuff. I don't think the celebration should have been uh, a, a, a major focal point. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't understand it. Um, to me, to try to take emotion out of sports is taking sports out of sports. I mean, think about it, even if you want to kind of use yourself as a uh, frame of reference. Okay, if you and your buddies go play basketball or go play flag football or whatever, tag football like we used to do, and you, and you, you know, shoot a three or block somebody or you or you throw a bomb or get an interception and all you're allowed to do is get up and calmly turn and hand the ball over or turn around and walk back down the court. No one will want to do that because that sucks and it's boring and it defeats the purpose of playing sports. You play sports to, to celebrate, to be emotional to, and you're not talking about personally disrespecting anyone. You're not talking about endangering someone. You're talking about having energy. You're talking about having momentum. You're talking about, having passion. I mean, we do it as fans. Forget putting yourself in the seat of a player. Okay, let's say we're all at a sports bar watching the game, and every time somebody shoots a three, we just have to turn and nod. Okay, I'm a fan of Georgia. Ben, you're a fan of Florida. We're watching Georgia-Florida together, and when, and when Georgia scores a touchdown, I have to look at you and shake your hand, or I have to get up and calmly exit the room. No, you right cheer. On. You celebrate. Yeah, you cheer. You celebrate. You talk trash. You have fun. Part of the reason baseball is boring is because nobody can ever show any emotion. And if you do celebrate or act like there's something positive <laughs> or something energetic, you you, you get a, a baseball thrown at you or you get thrown out of the game or whatever. I mean, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to watch football or basketball if after a dunk or after a touchdown or baseball after a home run, you just get up robotically, you know, walk down the the the, the field or down the court. Again, you're not talking about 
personally disrespecting someone. You're not talking about starting a fight or trying to hurt someone. You're talking about you're talking about celebrating, just like we do when we watch the games on TV, just like we do when we're in the stands at games, just like we do when we play sports. It's crazy. But see, but see, Kevin, it's happened. See, Kevin Thomas, one of those rules in baseball that kind of like seep over in other sports, and it's happened. No, the first thing you ever said to somebody, and I could be the first thing, the first trash talk you ever said was in your face. That's the first thing you ever really learned. You know how what to sports are? You know what sports are without emotion? It's work. That's what it is. It's a job. Wait and a minute. Want, no, no, and, no, 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 no. Basically, what BJ said. You know what sports are without without emotion? It's BJ because BJ will tell you what are you doing, BJ? Working. So you don't let me tell y'all something. Yeah, yeah. Don't I don't want to. I don't want to watch someone go to work. I want to watch someone go play, and I want to celebrate with them. Listen, I'm. I'm just saying. The only reason why. The only reason why my mama don't yell when I get knocked out is because I'm her child. If I wasn't a child, knock him out. Because that that kind of makes the game the game, right? That's that's why that's why fans and players alike we think alike. It's almost like if I'm, if I know you and you say, Ben, if you do something on old one day, you know, do a little dance or do a little something like, all right. I mean, I'm gonna remember that because it's hard. Like, I was the nail a lot when I when I played football. I wasn't a hammer as much as I give myself credit for. But those times that I were, I will let you know it. But what about this? What about when I make a play? Because this is what people don't factor in. More people talk trash from getting done done than actually making the play. The guys who talking to trash are the guys who just got scored on. Have you ever seen a DB? They'll get scored on, and they tell their receiver, "You lucky, you l-. because talking trash or having emotion is a part of the game. Can't can't flip the ball no more. Can't get in the face of the players. I'm sorry, I got to get in somebody's face. I mean, the first thing they get to talking trash to me, I'm like, "Boy, you think you good? Oh my freaking god!" And that's when the game. Really starts. So but, 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 but Ben, you've watched. You know I like soccer. You've watched soccer with me, Kevin. You got to one day. It's quite the experience. <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, if I'm watching a soccer game and a guy or, or or a girl girl scores right, and then they just turn around and walk back to midfield, I don't want to watch that. I want to see people jumping up and down and celebrating and yelling and screaming. That's what I want in my sports. Kevin, all I'm saying, Kevin, is this. Look, baseball, I get it. You're going to have to sweep. They're going to have to hit you. This the only t- Now, if you're playing the Braves, they, they, they don't even know how to hit players. They, they can't even hit guys. They throw behind them. And then if you're Freddie Freeman, you get one time to throw at me. And it's a, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you a do-over. But in football, emotion is the first thing that defines it. Before you kick the ball off, you got to have emotion. You got to have emotion. Then number two is when you start becoming a halfway decent player, other players think you're not that good. So now you got to maintain a level of stability when you get in there. Then sometimes you get hit real hard. Listen, football is when you get hit real hard and the guy that hit you jump up and talk trash. And I'm like, boy, you you think you somebody? Oh, my. So I, I, I just think that the fact that you are finding guys and the refs don't get fined, they blowing games. They they can't even remember how many downs it is. I mean, they they I mean, you know, I mean Colorado back in the day got five downs. Penn State this weekend only got three. But yet no but but no one says anything. So don't the no fun league, please. Let the people talk trash. If not, what are we doing? Wait, a bunch of guys out there saying, Good job, good job after that last. But yeah, you really got at me. No, no, we're just talking. We're not, we're not. This is my friend. No, I played against former teammates. And I used to talk tra- all kind of stuff to him. I, I mean, I say all kind of stuff during the game. And right after the game, it's, boy, you know I love you, man. I mean, I, you and your family, I hope you guys do well. But during the game, 
I used to be like, boy, you ain't cute. What you think? Your wife don't even like you. You signed a five-year, $20 million deal. You ain't attractive. You got a big bank account. You look like a shaved bird. You look like Daffy Duck with a beat <laughs> shot off. No, you just you just going to talk a bunch of trash. But, Kevin, once again, Kevin, if you want your beloved baseball rules to, to, to slide in the football, this is what's going to happen, Kevin. A bunch of a bunch of guys just, you know, high five. Oh, no, hold on. All I'm saying is if you don't like seeing the celebrations, don't celebrate when you watch. Don't cheer. Don't celebrate. Don't get fired up. Well, I think there's a difference in celebrating and taunting at the end of the day, and everybody knows that. But, I mean, uh, well, look. What, what I, is that I, difference? Where do I you mean, draw the line? Obviously, for you, there's not. I mean, I think you can celebrate without involving the other team. No, no, no. I'm trying to get a fr- – so, like, no engagement or communication with the other team? Why do you no, need to communicate with them? You just stuck I'm it just, up I'm, your backside. I'm, you don't need I'm to communicate. No, no, I just no, told you. The rule, the rule in the NFL is, listen, like, okay, if I, like, okay, when I, I, I have to use college because, you know, I didn't make a lot of plays in the NFL. So, in, in college, I, I called a pass against Florida State, right? And I, and I looked at their bench. By looking at their bench, that's a flag. Like, just, just, just by me and Bobby Bowden had a moment. Now, now, this is another thing. They say if you're going to flip the ball, you have to flip it away from the defender. So what if he just happened to turn the way I flipped it in penalty? What if we get up off the ground and I'm telling him that's a good hit penalty? I don't like that stuff. You know how hard it is to make your money and you're going to take it from me? No, I'm I mean, just saying. That kind of stuff I think is, is semantical. And I think it's one of those things where, to me, I think – Everybody on here knows the difference between taunting and celebrating. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where you, you know it when you see it, and, and that's just kind of the way it is. There are certain things that get called that should, I, should they? No, they shouldn't. So, so is bat flipping taunting or celebrating? I think it depends on how you view it. I think you can uh, also, again, you could call it celebrating. I'll call it celebrating when you get one in the ribs. You know, I'm going to, you know, whatever. I mean, look, I it's not okay to flip the home run to flip the bat, but it is okay to throw a rock at someone's ribs. Yes, and so here's here's the way I kind of I mean here's the way I kind of look at it. Sports in general, and Ben knows this, are humbling, and I think that is two sides of the same coin where people can say, yeah, it's hard. I should celebrate. I should you know look right at your face and double burge you and all that and say what you're going to do about it. I get that part. I think also at the same time, the same guy that bat flips is also the same chump that struck out eight out of ten times that can't put the ball in play. And you're going, oh, I get you now. Where's your celebrating? Now, and, and there's usually the same guys that get mad That's when the pitch. That's awesome. That's awesome when you call them out. I understand that. But my point is sports are humbling. And I, I think when, when people say, why are you getting upset about me celebrating? It's like because you get upset when I celebrate. And for most of the time, you haven't been that good. And like, look. Just, I'm just saying. I'm saying my, the way I look at it is like, hey, you you took me deep. That's great. That's what you were supposed to do. You got me. What about the nine other times I got you? Was I out here? For, like we get it. And so I do think like the talking back and forth on baseball is like, you hit a home run, fine. Quit quit jawing at me after you hit a home run. We got it. We all saw it go to the fence. Do do the thing. And I think that's where in baseball it gets a little, uh, you know, it gets a little chippy is because guys are like, I get it. Uh, we all play in a game of failure out out there. Uh, baseball is a game of, of how many times you don't do it versus how many times you do do it. So I, I, I get why guys get a little chippy when, when people are like, look, you're going to get me once in a while. I'm going to get you. 
no need to sit there and, and go overboard with it. I get it. I just struggle with the logic of I did my job and I'm showing emotion very briefly in a four to five second span. And because I was better than you at what you do, you're going to throw a baseball at me, which could hurt me and damage my career. That's crazy. That's so correct. Showing emotion, Remember where you're playing. That's all I'm, I'm just saying. saying. Showing emotion and celebrating when you, you know, do something you good you isn't. You better know where you at. Yeah. Hold on, Ben. You're so a pro. Athlete, I'm a pro. You you celebrating what you do is not okay, and that but turning around and throwing a baseball at that person, now, which now, can be very dangerous, now, is okay. Saying, That's crazy. Answer, hold on, hold on. They need to institute another rule. Listen, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm Yasiel Puig. That's Madison Baumgartner. I just took him yard. Boom, and I'm looking at it. We don't we don't like each other, so I know. That Madison, if he's still in the game, he's gonna throw at me. There should be a rule. Don't don't clear the bitches. If you throw at me and you make contact, we should be able to meet right there on the mound. You are just a hockey rule. Just because <laughs> because because the thing is and, and, and just to confirm, all this is happening because Yasiel Puig clapped or stared at Madison Bumgarner after he hit a home run. Madison Bumgarner said, hurry up and run your bases. Like, I, I, hurry up. No, no, no. But but it's, no, no, no. But Kevin won't say this. I Kevin mean, I mean there's a way to prevent right people from hitting home runs, right? It's called don't give up the home run. Got to celebrate. If you don't want a guy to dance in the end zone, don't let him score. If you don't want a guy to celebrate a home run, don't give up a home run. I need Ben. To, I need BJ to talk to Will Smith every night before he goes in the peak. <laughs> Would Will Smith be Would Will Smith be right if somebody went yard? Well, I'm sorry, another person went yard on him, and they and they and they stared at it. Do he go? I'm gonna hit your home ball when he come up there. Like, well, you, show, you you better hope my home ball don't hit this hit hit this ball with the bat. No, I understand what Kevin is saying, but if he can hit me with the ball, I should be able to hit him with my fist. I'm just saying that's that's only right. That's only right. We've got more to come. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Football playoff committee was meeting today in Dallas. Obviously, a lot of things to discuss about a potential 12-team playoff and uh, and and all of that. But uh, basically, we saw the the statement put out uh, there after that meeting was, yeah, we're going to keep talking about it, and we are going to meet again next week in Chicago. So a lot still to to work out here with the college football playoff. They did talk about a 17-game max. Didn't want to go past that on a college football schedule. I mean, that's a pro schedule uh, there at that point. But obviously a lot to work out in terms of who's involved in this expanded playoff. Is it 12 or 8? I know they came out and said they wanted to go to 12. Uh, but still the discussions after today, we're going to meet again tomorrow. Uh, the Bill Hancock statement basically said a whole bunch of nothing other than we'll meet in Chicago next week. Well, yeah, I mean, regardless of when the meetings are and kind of what's next, I wonder if there is at least – some behind-the-scenes apprehension, or maybe they already know, because we, at least from the outside looking in, don't exactly yet know when Oklahoma and Texas are going to move over to the SEC or what's going to happen with Big 12 expansion in terms of a timetable or how that affects the AC or Conference USA or the Sun Belt. I mean, do you guys think there might be some kind of surface hesitation or apprehension because we still haven't seen the college football realignment, I, I, I guess, process settle? No, because the thing is, this comes down to brands. This comes down to brand equity. This comes down to national appeal. And 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 and, and sometimes it's come down to the fact that if the committee thinks that your team is worthy enough, because BJ and Kevin, we know this, right? When it comes to 
college football playoff in bowl seasons, it really doesn't matter what your record was. If they vote you in, you're in. If they say you're good enough, you're in. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. So, and BJ, I know, I know the coach of Carolinas and the Cincinnati's of the world, this is going to come down to, is your brand recognizable enough nationally for us to put you in? Because when you start talking about who's good enough, there's <clears throat> a lot of teams are. But you see what happens when Clemson lose week one? See people having meetings early and all that. Don't think that kind of stuff don't factor into it. Clemson losing week one to Georgia will have people pushing meetings up. And if Greg Sankey got something to do with it, 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 it ain't nobody going to leak nothing. And, and it probably went well. But, BJ, once again, this comes down to national brands, brand visibility, and just from a, just from a name recognition alone, if you say a certain team, will people bat an eye? And, and, and most teams, they won't. But you start saying Coastal Carolina. Who? Cincinnati. What? So, and I'm like you. We know these teams are good enough. <clears throat> but if BYU can't get Coastal Carolina in, maybe this is the only way they get in by adding teams, and the sooner the better, because it doesn't matter about realignment. I mean, UCF, what, what is it, UCF and Houston, all these teams, they move it to another division. It's not if it happens next year or the year after. It's about how many teams do you get in, because as old Kevin say, if we can't get you in with the money with the four teams, add, add eight more, and we'll and we'll get a piece of that check. Yeah, we're gonna. That's that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Is how's that money getting divided up, and can all the uh, the major players make sure they get their share of it at the end of the day? Another hour to go here on three and out. Southern Power Pole is out. Take a look at that and more. It's three and out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live as well on ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Final hour coming up next here on 3 and Out. ...alongside as well. And, uh, Ben, we have the Southern Power Poll out. The Bud Light Southern Power Poll ranks ACC, SEC, and Sunbelt teams. And we take all of our polls individually, somehow find the way to do the math, which is not a show strong suit, and we come up with the with the top 12. And it's really interesting to look at these rankings. No surprise who's at the top. And you can find the full list, southernpigskin.com, Alabama at the top, and Georgia coming in right there at number two. So all of our rankings, ACC, SEC, and Sunbelt teams alone average together. It's Alabama one, and it's Georgia two. And Ben, I thought this was really interesting, and I think it's a good thing. In our, in our poll, Florida is at number three, ahead of Clemson, ahead of undefeated Ole Miss, ahead of undefeated Texas A&M, et cetera. And I think it's important as we move forward in college football, and especially now that we see 15-0, 14-0 be less likely, the parity uh, at least for Tier 2 and 3 seems to be at an all-time high. We're seeing more high-profile non-conference games. I'm glad to see that we're not ranking all of the undefeated teams, all the one-loss teams, all the two-loss teams. We've got to stop thinking binary like that. And Florida, to me, whether you're voting in the Bud Light Southern Power Poll or the AP Poll or the Coaches Poll, playing Alabama within two points is more impressive than beating most teams in the country. So some folks may look at that and go, wait a second. How can Florida be number three when they're not undefeated? Because you're not just looking at wins and losses. You have to look at the totalities of performance, who you beat and who you lose to. To me, losing to Alabama by two is more impressive than almost every win we saw over the weekend. So Florida, even with a loss, is at number three. All of our polls together, me, you, Cam, Christian, Kevin, PJ, we have Florida at number three in the Bud Light Southern Power Poll. 
BJ, does that does that kind of go back to when you be talking about the fact that sometimes it's not it's not that you lose, it's who you lose to or the manner in which you lose to them? Because I mean, obviously, you look at the final score, thirty-one to twenty-nine, and you say to yourself, "Oh, it was a very very close game." Well, it didn't start out that way. It was twenty-one to three. It was twenty-one to three in the first half, or really like really like first quarter when you look at Alabama and, and Florida was able to come back. But it shows you how much this this uh, power pole fluctuates, like. I mean, there's a lot of things going to it. I know some of us do if these teams play head-to-head or if they play head-to-head or how the team look doing it. Look, Alabama's going to be ranked number one until they lose. I don't care how they look winning. We can't judge them. Oh, almost almost losing means you won. Just like Florida, almost won means they lost. But I will say how the team looks, the, the eye test <clears throat> does matter and who you play. But, BJ, I mean, I, I do agree. You think about this Florida team and understanding that Georgia is the barometer in their division. Alabama is the gold standard of college football. They are the barometer, period. If somebody would have told you that Alabama get, was up 21-3 to against anybody in the SEC, anybody, the game was probably over with. I mean, that's it, the team. But the fact the fact they only scored one more time and Florida was able to only lose, well, not well, they didn't get a two-point conversion. I think, it, I think it definitely shows that BJ, certain teams just play certain teams better. And maybe right now Florida is a team that's playing Alabama a lot better than other teams. And that kind of goes back to when we were saying, Certain teams got the best players. Certain teams just develop, develop, develop more. You kind of saw that on Saturday. Alabama was as obviously the better team, but you look at development and what's going on in Gainesville, and you come up with a team that came up two points short, number three on the power pole. But yeah, I do give Florida a lot of credit. Not because, not because I'm always rooting for them guys. They earned it, especially Emory Jones, who you say the best. BJ, what is the quarterback going to? Is going to more RPOs, not because you, not because you got to have it, but Emory Jones did not have a good day throwing the football. But he made up for it running the football as well as that Florida run game. And dare I say, Florida almost beat Alabama at what Alabama does better than anybody. And that's running the football. They just came up a little bit short. It's the Bud Light Southern Power Poll. And I just think as we move forward as college football fans, we've got to get to the point because of the way the game has evolved and changed where we're not just looking at records. Yes, records are a big chunk of evaluation, but especially at the top, when you're trying to separate a one-loss team from a one-loss team or a one-loss team from an undefeated team or a couple of two-loss teams, you've got to appreciate the minutia of a resume. And to me, albeit in a loss, I know Kyer Elam, the Florida All-American, came out, and I'm paraphrasing, said something along the lines of, hey, we're disappointed, we wanted to win, we're not playing to play close. I agree. But from the standpoint of evaluation, that's about as good of a loss as you can have, and just about everybody's going to have a loss. So later. Later in the season, how will we evaluate this? Do want to ask you this real quick, Ben, then we'll get to you, Cam. Before we move down the poll, Georgia's at two, Florida's at three. We'll see that game in, in, in a month plus. In your mind, Ben, how close is the margin between Georgia and Florida? I don't know how big I don't I don't know how big the margin is anymore, BJ. Dan Muller said the best two years ago when he said the margin was seven points. And let's face it, Georgia's always gonna have two things. Georgia's going to have most of the time a better team and a better recruiting class than Florida. That's always been the case. You can probably go back to the Mark Ritt days. And, BJ, I think we're going to have to see this year because it's so easy to talk about Florida is better than Georgia after Florida beats Georgia in 2020. Nobody's really saying that going into the game. But after the game, it was a total, total different thing. But I will say, a lot of those guys that got a chance to play last year, not named Kyle Trask, not named Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts, those two tight ends, Gamble and Zipper, those guys played last year in the game. Malik Davis, who you saw, those guys played. Damian Pierce. So I do think that this is going to be this is going to be a five star culture versus five star development because I do think that they develop well in Florida, BJ, and and I, I, it's going to make the game more intriguing. And dare I say? 
Florida's going to come into the game with a better running game this year than Georgia. That, to me, is the most unusual thing, which goes to show that Dan Mullen understands that I must develop where I am short at and where he was short was the running game. And can uh, can 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 uh, if Georgia, I mean, Florida almost beat Alabama and what they do best. Can Florida go back to, the, to running the football to kind of slow the game up, control the clock, to kind of, you know, put, put a damper on arguably the best run defense in college football we will see come the last weekend in October? And the Bud Light Southern Power Poll you have, again, Alabama 1, Clemson – or Georgia 2, excuse me, Florida 3, Clemson 4, Ole Miss 5, Texas A&M who's 3-0 and but it's not looked great at 6, and then Arkansas at 7. Now, Arkansas plays Texas A&M this weekend. And, Cam, I know you have an interesting point on the Razorbacks. Yeah, I have a huge, uh, huge interesting point. It's something me and Christian talked about on second down with P.J. Um, Arkansas has four straight ranked games. For these next four weeks, I think you have um, you have Texas A&M, you have at Georgia, at Ole Miss, and then Auburn to finish off that four game stretch. Say they go three and one in that stretch, and the team you lose to is Georgia. That's not a bad loss. And then you play Alabama at the end of the season on the road as well, and you that's somewhat close. Say you lose that by ten. Could we see a two loss Arkansas team in the college football playoff picture? I mean, your resume is beating Texas, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. Auburn, and I think I'm forgetting another team, but those and, and LSU, yeah, you'd have a win over yeah, LSU. And LSU, yeah, that's that's a quality resume. I think it's a great point, and I think it's reflective of the fact that when you lose, and and I heard you and Christian talking about this, when you lose to Alabama, all that proves is that you're not better than Alabama. When you lose to Georgia, all that proves is that you're not better than Georgia. So in theory, if Alabama's number one and Georgia's number two and Arkansas, like you said, beats LSU, beats Texas, beats A&M, beats Auburn, beats Ole Miss, could they be three or four? Absolutely. And that's why I think you have to keep in mind when you look at these power divisions, great point, Cam, uh, with with whatever division the Big Ten has with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Michigan State and the SEC West, you have to understand that theoretically you could have – the number three team in that division still be one of the four best teams in the country. Now, do I think it's realistic, Cam, your scenario in today's college football environment for Arkansas to still be considered? No. But where that gets interesting, guys, we're talking about last hour, the college football playoff expansion. If the pool expands and you have 12 teams, could Arkansas with that resume get into the playoff? Absolutely. But but and, and and Cam, you make a good point. But BJ, I mean, this this is what I would say to Cam and you. It's all it's it, it always starts. It's the preseason hype has a lot to do with in season hype and postseason hype. If they're not talking about you early and you come on late, are you are you a team that was on the radar? Probably not. And and when we think about it, if Sam Pittman keeps doing what he's doing. He's SEC coach of the year. I don't care what nobody else does. I mean, Arkansas is fighting the Jets to stay relevant in the SEC West, the hardest division in football, and to get the six wins. How many people outside outside of Georgia are going to have a better out of conference out of conference um uh, win in Texas with freaking Arkansas? So I do think that when you talk about give, letting the regular season play out, to let the regular season control the narrative and, and set the storyline instead of us going in with the preconceived storylines and it don't go the way we want. So I do agree. I do agree. Let me ask you, ben, ben, about this to that point, to Cam's point, because nobody was talking about Arkansas in the preseason. Everybody was talking about Clemson, okay? Let's just throw this idea out there. Let's say Clemson wins out, and I'll ask both of you. So Clemson wins out. They lose to Georgia. Not their fault. The ACC is not great. That's not their fault. But let's say – 
you don't have a top 25 win the rest of the year. Because I don't think right now Clemson plays a nationally ranked team. Let's say you get into the ACC championship, you beat North Carolina, so you have one top 25 win, and you lost to Georgia. You're 12-1, and you're an ACC champion, you lost to Georgia. Arkansas, Cam's model, they lose to Alabama close, and they lose to Georgia close. Let's assume those teams are in the top five. You have two losses to top five teams, including a loss to the team who Clemson lost to. Now, you have an additional loss, but it's to Alabama, the number one team in the country. I believe Clemson's best wins, if we kind of project it out in this world, would be North Carolina in the ACC title game, NC State, and Pitt, probably. Arkansas would have wins over Ole Miss, LSU, Texas A&M, Texas. You're talking about a team that would have a very impressive resume, Auburn. In your mind, even though Clemson's an ACC champion and would probably be ranked in the top six or seven, which team would have a more impressive resume? Arkansas would have a more impressive resume, but the, but the fact of the matter is that Arkansas hasn't done the hardest thing you can do in college football, and that is you have to earn the benefit of the doubt. Until you do that, people ain't going to look at your overall record. They're going to say, oh, well, maybe they was just an outlier. Maybe it was just an oxymoron. Maybe this just was. But in my mind, listen, Arkansas may have a better resume than Clemson every single year, BJ, if, you really, if you're really looking at what they have to do. Forget out of conference. You got LSU, Auburn, Alabama, Texas A&M, every and Ole Miss. Every year. That's before you even talking about who your crossover is. So if your crossover is Georgia or Florida, that's what Arkansas is dealing with every year. So once again, if we're talking about who has earned a way in, that would be Arkansas. I, but we're talking about who they who they're gonna deem the world wants to see. Clemson gonna get that nod every single time, even with a down uh, ACC. I would choose Arkansas and I'll go back to 2017. Um, y'all remember that two loss Auburn team that went to the SEC championship? So had they won that, they would be the first two-loss team to go to the college football playoffs. They would have been the first one. And had they not played in that SEC championship, they were still number two in the country. So either way, theoretically, they may have been the number four team had they not played and Bama and Georgia played and Duke Yeah, sometimes you get punished for playing yeah. the extra game. Absolutely. It's a great point. Yeah, they got punished. They, they beat Georgia and Alabama back-to-back weeks. I mean, blew both of them out. And – I mean, it could. I'm not going to say it's going to be the same for Arkansas because, I mean, you still got to beat Georgia and Bama back-to-back weeks. But I look at that and I'm like, you know, Auburn got punched for just playing another game. That's it. They would have made the playoffs that year as a two-loss team. So they got to change the standard. I, I don't think it's about, oh, this team has lost one game, this team's lost two. No, who's looked better this year? That's how it should be, but it's never been that way so far. Hey, man, I'm just sitting back listening. That's what I'm talking about. When we look at these resumes, we got to compare and contrast. And I think it's a great point about especially evaluating teams out of the SEC West. We move down the Bud Light Southern Power Pole, Coastal Carolina at eight. Now, they had a tight game against Buffalo, not the Bills, the Bulls, the Buffalo Bulls on Saturday. Uh, it was their first road game of the season. They won their 3-0. I want to get back to the Chanticleers, Chanticleers in a minute. Auburn at nine, Kentucky at ten. Uh, North Carolina at 11, and then LSU there at 12. Let's say of the last four uh, Power Five conference teams in the Bud Light Southern Power Poll, Auburn, Kentucky, North Carolina, and LSU, to you guys, which one of those teams has the best chance to make a run, maybe at 10 wins, Auburn, Kentucky, North Carolina, or LSU? 
Oh man, Auburn, Kentucky, North Carolina, LSU. I'm always gonna say North Carolina because that because their path their path of lethal resistance is always gonna be that BJ. And all North Carolina do is really gotta find their stride. They don't have to worry about Clemson throughout all of that. They just gotta make sure they don't have a down game. But if I had a one B, and I know people gonna think I, I might go with Auburn because the whole thing about it is Auburn is always gonna be that question mark. You don't know how good or bad they are. They lost twenty eight to twenty to Penn State on the road. If that game was at home, that game probably goes a, a, a total different way. Don't act yourself because I just don't know. But I would always go with North Carolina because Sam Howe is good enough to win you any game he's in. He's also good, bad enough to lose you any game he's in. But I just think for me, it's always going to be an ACC team over an SEC team because in the SEC, it's not the games that people think you evenly match in. It's a game. It's a, it's a game that people think you overmatch and you end up losing that game. Yeah, I'll go North Carolina because I mean their strength of schedule isn't up to par as all the other SEC teams. I think Kentucky's going to take a few L's. Um, LSU has already you know lost to UCLA and they haven't even gotten to conference play yet with Bama, um, Auburn, A and M, and Arkansas. Um, Auburn. They're there, but then again, they've already have an L with um, Penn State, and they still have a lot of good teams to play. So I definitely say North Carolina. I look at their schedule. I want. Do they play Notre Dame? Am I right or wrong about that? They do. I think they'll be able to beat Notre Dame, and I think they'll be able to get to 10, 11 wins this year. Check it out, southernpigskin.com, the Bud Light Southern Power Poll, ranking ACC, SEC, and Sunbelt teams. Now, we had a Sunbelt team in – in Coastal Carolina. We'll come back and talk about them next. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here with Ben Troop, Cam Ushery, and they're 3-0 and right now this season, okay? They're three wins, the Citadel, Kansas, and at Buffalo on Saturday. I'll give you the rest of the schedule here. Uh, UMass, UL Monroe, Arkansas State, at App State, and that game is on ESPN2, at Troy, at Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Texas State, and South Alabama, you could play a Louisiana in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. But how do we evaluate a team like this? Because, Ben, you talk about earning the benefit of the doubt as a program. Going back to last year, Coastal Carolina had a couple of top 20 wins. That's as many as Clemson had. They played a team that was in the top 12 in BYU. They won that game. Uh, They played Louisiana on the road, a top 20 team. They won that game, cruised in most of their games, and played in a fantastic Cure Bowl against Liberty. And I know some folks may say, well, they lost that game. Well, Liberty had one loss. I mean, Liberty was a top 15 team, and that game went into overtime. And as we chatted with Jamie Chadwell in the offseason, Grayson McCall was hurt in that game. They still put up 34 points. But you fast forward to this season, they're number eight in our power poll. They're number 17 in the national polls. They're not going to play anybody in the national top 25 unless App State can get in there. And that's going to be a Wednesday night game in Boone. How do we evaluate this team? And fair, unfair, right, wrong, indifferent, Ben, if Coastal Carolina goes undefeated, finishes 12-0, and uh, beats Louisiana, let's say, in the Sun Belt title game, are they still kind of regardless looking at maybe two or three bowl games somewhere around Christmas? And are they still at arm's length, if not further away, from the more high-profile bowl games around the new year. And I don't want to say that to be disrespectful. I love all the bowl games. You and I have been to, you know, a number of bowl games around the South, including the Cure Bowl. Great time. Had a fantastic time for a great cause, obviously. Very worthy cause. And uh, we've enjoyed all the bowl games we've gone to. But is that sort of the ceiling for, for, for a program like Coastal Carolina? Or could they get into the conversation of the New Year Six? Or with Cincinnati and others, is, is that just kind of the way it is right now? 
BJ, it might be a little bit of both. It might be the fact that, yes, I mean, I do think that the, that what they can probably, you know, realistically hope for is to be in a, in a in a bowl game real close to a New Year's Six. But depending on how well they play against the app when everybody's watching on ESPN2 or how Cincinnati ends up, I, I think what happens is with a, with a team like Coastal Carolina, it's almost like UCF. UCF kind of started it all, going undefeated, you know, beating, beating Auburn, uh, the next year playing LSU and losing. Then you got Cincinnati last year. What they was able to do against Georgia, it's almost like Coastal Carolina needs them and somebody else to do it at the same time. Because if it's just them, they're gonna go back to their they're gonna go back to their record or to their resume. When you start talking about the UMasses and the Buffaloes, BJ, while they went like a, a, what a twenty-eight to twenty-five win over Buffalo doesn't look as good when, no, when most people don't know who Buffalo is or they know where it is, but they don't know that they play football there. So Coastal Carolina is getting beat up because they're not. App, they're not Louisiana. Whereas if Coastal Carolina was good when they, when they first, you know, when they, when they was already throwing these Sun Belt championships at the home stadiums, if they was in one earlier, because BJ, is it? It doesn't matter when you peak, not that you peak. Because like we talk about Florida State, right? Florida State, if this is fourteen years ago, Florida State wins the benefit of the doubt, right? But now who's peaking? It's Clemson. And we were talking to somebody one time, and somebody said Clemson's on the verge of being, you know, of going back to just, rec- you know, being regular if a North Carolina or a Miami or a Florida State or, you know, um, you know, emerges out of the ACC. That's the thing about Coach Carolina is we think the Sun Belt. We don't think them first. We think App first. Then we think Louisiana. Then we think Georgia Southern. Then we think them, maybe even a Troy. Now, are they a good team? Yes. I believe Coach Carolina – and I, and I and I mean this. I used to say taking care, take away a certain certain teams. I don't believe that anymore. I'm gonna tell you why. Coach Carolina does not lack talent. They don't they don't lack scheme, and they don't lack they don't lack the ability to go out there and play against anybody. They showed that against BYU. I don't want to hear after they won. Oh well, it's just, no. But I guess Ben, this is my question. Okay, look at their schedule. We talked about it. If they go undefeated, or if they lose one or two games in that span, or even three. Kevin's talked about this. Is the reality still kind of? You're probably going to the New Orleans Bowl. There's just not, with the current model constructed the way it is, even if you go undefeated, opportunities with a limited non-conference schedule like this, I should add, to get into kind of the more high-profile bowl games. If they go undefeated, they will be they will get consideration for a high-profile bowl game because a high-profile bowl game is to show love and appreciate it to the previous season of the, of the school, no matter where the school is. Like, if you can't be – and – how recent have we seen Coastal Carolina be good? Well, that was last year. It's not like it's not like they was good five years ago when they found a way to come back. And BJ, that's the thing about Coastal Carolina. Other teams don't have have to worry about. They have to be consistent. They can't lose two and three because if they lose two and three, now they got to work themselves back up to just be relevant again. Right now, when we we saw Coastal Carolina on national TV and they looked the part, people ain't talking like. Oh, it's Coastal Carolina. No, I believe they can beat most teams you put them up against. That's regardless of the division. That's regardless of conference. The problem is they won't get to play them. They're only going to judge them off the teams they played against. So I think that they just got to continue to be consistent. And let's face it, they're the best. They're the best what? They're the best, uh, you know, uh, group of five, you know, conference out there. I mean, bar none. You don't want to play the Sun Belt. So, BJ, it's going to come down to them. Controllable, they can control, and they got to continue winning. And whenever they're going to be on ESPN2 against App. When the world is watching, they have to put on a show. Because, because I'm sorry, App should have beat uh, freaking Miami, and that's and 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 that's why I think we are at. I'm I'm starting to come around more as far as like what you're saying because I'm a part of that bias, right? I'm like, oh well, you know, no, 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 no. Football is football. 
And you're seeing it every single day. I just think that this year, when you talk about Coastal, it's like what Jamie Chadwell said, BJ, they might be a better team than last year, but they might not have a better record. And they're not going to get and, – and the only teams who get recognized for that are these P5 teams or these usual suspect teams. Coastal Carolina is not a usual suspect, not even in their own conference. So I, I think that for them, they got to go. They got to go undefeated. BJ, two or three loss win, two or three loss season for them. They go back to, you know, not mediocrity as a program, a mediocrity as as a as a national perception of them. Because the, cause let's face it, BJ, you know, just like I know, the national perception play has a lot to do with your program success or failure. When you talk about the type of bowl games they go to, so I do think that Coastal Carolina, if they go undefeated, they should be considered for a New Year Six. That's regardless of what Cincinnati does. If they go, if they go undefeated, and they yeah, had to now, be- now, 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 should is one thing. Uh, will they? I think that's a different are, question. Are they, that's, are the, that's are in, but are they into the com- a conversation of most deserving? Because I know we we do that right, best and most deserving. Here's an interesting question that I think will provide at least some perspective to help us process that question because it is tough. It's very tough to compare resumes. And you do have to, like we were saying last segment, you do have to look at the overall totality of comparing and contrasting who you played, how much you won by, who you potentially lost to. But you also have to get past some of the biases, like you mentioned, of, you know, you you think about the SEC or the ACC and you go, oh, it's dramatically better than the Sun Belt. Now, is the ACC dramatically better than the Sun Belt? Here's why I want to ask you that. Do you think Coastal Carolina, and there's no way to prove or disprove this, no wrong answer, if they were in the ACC, would they be a top three team, a top five team? Would they be middle of the pack? Would they be near the bottom? If Coastal Carolina was in the ACC this season, they're probably not better than Clemson, although Clemson doesn't look great. Where would you rank them just abstractly, let's say for sake of argument, as an ACC team? They're a top five team, definitely. I think they're a top three team, probably. Because the reason why BJ is, isn't that the ACC? Like, think about it. The ACC, okay, North Carolina's being talked about because they got a guy named Sam Howell. Are they being talked about without him? No. Miami is being talked about because they got the Air King. Are they being talked about without him? No. Well, Grayson McCall might be better than both of them right now. So when you talk about what the ingredients you need to win an ACC, you need a coach and you need a player. Coach Jamie Chadwell, I mean, he's on, he's on, he's on the short list of getting a, getting a contract extension there or going to a big time school, right? And 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 Grayson McCall, I mean, I'm just saying, they, I I think that when you think about a team like like uh, Coastal, I think they're good at adapting. If Coastal was in the if Coastal was in the SEC, number one, number one, or the ACC, they're going to be recruiting a different type of player. They're not going to get now Grayson McCall different, but you you get you get the players according to where you play. You know, not just who you play. So they ain't getting the same caliber of player. So do I think? And I and I and I say this again. What is the most dangerous G five uh, conference out there? That would be the Sun Belt. This is the same Sun Belt. Georgia State went to Tennessee two years ago and beat them in Knoxville. So I will say, BJ, if they was in ACC, top five definitely, top three maybe because the whole thing about it, that top three, basically we're talking about who's the two under freaking Clemson. That could be anybody. You want you 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 expect it to be North Carolina or or maybe a you know a, a, a Miami or a Virginia Tech, but if if Florida State get the right get the right quarterback right, and I'm not saying that McKenzie Milton can't they they can find themselves in that position. So do I say if Coach Carroll and I'm gonna say this about the about the SEC, just like every it's top heavy. 
could if 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 uh if Coach Carolina was in the SEC East, could they compete right right now? Yes, I believe they could compete right now. Now, right, as I continue to see, I like being in Kevin's seat because I can ask questions and not have to answer them. I'm just curious. I, I'm just again, no wrong answer. Yeah, a lot of people consider Kentucky to be the third best team in the SEC East. If Coastal Carolina play Kentucky tomorrow, what would your pick be? I'm probably gonna go with Coastal Carolina, and I'm gonna tell you why. The thing about the thing about Kentucky, Kentucky is getting used to having a guy in Will Levis to be able to throw the ball around. And yes, they got Rodriguez at running back with that defense. You know what Coastal Carolina is used to having? All three faces. We can do it all. We can run it. We can throw it. We can play defense. We can we can play for four quarters. And BJ, because one team is used to having it. Kentucky is ha- has an underdog role as it pertains to just their reputation in the SEC. Coastal Carolina got an underdog role. Period. Like. Period. Every time we play, people think we ain't that good. That's why we keep beating everybody. So right now, Coastal Carolina against Kentucky, I'm going to go with Coastal Carolina, especially if it's at Conway and especially if it's, if it's at night. You ain't beating them boys on that teal field. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I think they would beat a lot of teams that would surprise most people. It's a really good football team. Interesting where Coastal Carolina is through all this. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the college football playoff. Who might be there? Who might not be there? Stay with us next. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network have been responsible for 22 of the 28 playoff bids we've seen in the playoff era. Those five teams, you can probably name them, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Now, you look at those five teams, Ben. Alabama is clearly the favorite, but I don't think they look untouchable. We saw Florida show that on Saturday. Notre Dame, I mean, good grief. Notre Dame's lucky to be right where they are. I mean, probably could have lost in week one, probably should have lost in week two. Clemson already has a loss, and ugh, I mean, it's 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 something offensively. Ohio State already has a loss. They have a tough schedule coming up. And Oklahoma, probably the best team in the Big 12 by a you know by a by a decent margin, but they almost lost to Tulane. So is this a year if some of those teams are imperfect? Where and I know Kevin has wanted to see this for a while. Where we could see, could it be a Penn State? Could it be a Iowa? Could it be an Oregon? Could it be a couple of those teams where we see some new programs in the college football playoff? You hope so, because I think that's good for college football. I think I think being able to spread spread it around a little bit, BJ shows that there is parity in college football. The biggest misconception about college football is that we are we have our favorites before the season starts and we're going to do everything to make sure our favorites get in regardless of how the regular season plays itself out. You talk about Iowa, a team that wasn't talked about. It was about all about Iowa State. You talk about an Oregon team, BJ led by Kayvon Thibodeau, who didn't even play when they beat Ohio State. You talk about a Penn State that's always been right there, right? Like, it's always been right there. They, they, they're good enough to beat Michigan State, good enough to beat Michigan, and kind of not kind of a little bit of far away uh, when you talk about Ohio State. Look, I get it. Notre Dame is the biggest brand in college football. Ohio State is a huge brand, just like, you know, just like Clemson and these different teams. But I think the regular season should play itself out. If all things are equal, we're talking about P5 now. I know we I know we talked about Coach Carolina last segment. If all things are equal, Penn State has the resume to get in if they if they win the Big Ten. Period. Iowa had Iowa already beat Iowa State. No, no, no. Iowa beat the brakes off. That wasn't that wasn't even a game. And college game day was there. If you talk about a team like uh, like Oregon, 
Well, Oregon, as of late, has been the only team in the Pac-12 to be in the national championship. Uh, you know, uh, last time I checked, BJ, they have their program that's been ascending, right? But they get grew, they they get pulled down because just like a Clemson or it should be because of because of the UCLA's and the U, and the USC's and the uh, the Arizona Arizona State. So if Oregon can get it done, why not? Because BJ, in a sense, right? Once again, it's like it's like the NCAA tournament. You're going to have a bunch of Cinderella's, but we know that the national championship is going to be either blue blood, blue blood versus a team that was right there. And the Cinderella's not good. The Cinderella might, they might make it to the final four. They won't make it to the national championship. For some reason, it just happens like that. If this year, if it's, you know, if it comes down to be, you know, Alabama, Penn State, Oregon, I don't even, I mean, that fourth team would. Let me ask you, yeah, yeah, because this is what Kevin has talked about, and I don't know the answer to this. This is purely speculation, because I think a lot of people, for as much as they gripe about it, when the college football playoff bin is Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma, or, or some form of that, Ohio State, those are huge names with huge fan bases, yeah. and they draw fans in who aren't even college football fans. Like, you're not a college football fan, and you hear that Alabama and Ohio State are playing, you watch that. But I think there is a little fatigue in terms of seeing the same teams every year. So going back to your argument, let's say, and, and think about this, if the college football playoff this fall, Alabama's going to be in it. I can't imagine a situation where they're not. But let's say it's Alabama, Oregon, Iowa, and Cincinnati. Alabama, Oregon, Iowa, and Cincinnati. Does it have the same excitement? Will it have the same buzz? Will as many people watch it? Could more people watch it because it's new teams or because you wouldn't have those traditional superpowers? Would there not be quite as much excitement? If it was basketball, I would say no. But because it's football, I would say yeah, BJ, because we we only know about the fan base we know about because of our geographic location. If we are Iowa fans, we're like, well, wait a minute, dude. Like the Hawkeyes, we 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 set it off too. And, and this is how you know. Two things that are validated to me in college football. You know, your brand equity is one and college game day. College game day is is a is very, very prestigious because they decide where to go. And we have to pay attention. And I like how whatever whatever location they had, that's the last game they talk about. They talk about everything else till you get to that game. Hey, man, look at this crowd. I Corso and Herfrey and those guys. So, BJ, and you know just like I know, it's not if Iowa or Oregon make it. It's if Cincinnati. Because that's when I'm saying, okay, now college football might be working the way it was intended to work. But BJ, let's just be honest. And it's something I was going to talk about it. As long as Alabama's there, does it really matter who the other three are? I don't. I, I I don't think it really matters because you got. Because guess what? Everybody named Ohio State, Florida, uh, Clemson, LSU. Uh, you know, if you've had to win it, you've had to play them. No, no whether it was uh, the, the BCS or the college football playoff. So just say it's the first round is Cincinnati and Alabama. Already like, uh oh, okay. Well, there's well, let's see. And and guess what, BJ? If they beat them, man, what you think that'll do for a program? What you think it'll do for a Cincinnati? If the whole world is watching Cincinnati and Alabama, and it ain't and it ain't basketball. That's what that, that's what I, that's what I you think. Make, you make the basketball analogy, and and I want to be clear here because I'm going to say we. When I mean we, I don't necessarily mean me and you. I mean no. like the college basketball, yeah. the college sports watching community. I think a lot of times in the NCAA tournament, tournament, we like when the Cinderella goes to the Sweet 16 
We like when the Cinderella goes. Unless, the Cinderella, unless the Cinderella beat your team, then you don't like. Right, you're right. But then when the Cinderella gets to the Final Four, I think we're like, <laughs> I think we're like, no, wait a minute, now, now hold on a minute. I appreciate your story, but it's the Final Four. I want to see Duke. I want to see Carolina. I want to see Kentucky. I want to see Kansas. I want to see the team that has all the NBA players. I want to see the high-profile coaches. And I wonder, I don't know this, I wonder if that's the same thing with the college football playoff where, yes, and, and you're right, Iowa, Oregon, these are great programs with great fan bases. But I wonder if people are saying, man, I really want to see Iowa. I really want to see Arkansas in the playoff. I really want to, you know, I would love to see North Carolina in the play. I wonder if when we get to that point, if in the and I'm saying we as a collective sports watching community, if in the back of our mind we're actually thinking, yeah, I kind of miss Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's interesting because I do get that sense with the basketball tournament where it's like opening round, we love you. Second round, we love you. Sweet 16, this is awesome. Elite eight, wow, this is history. Final four, uh, where's Kansas? Where's Kentucky? So I don't know, but I do think it's going to be interesting to see. Well, BJ, I mean, but the thing is, right, we we love, but just like the tournament, if if it's one game. Now, regular season, I don't think Cincinnati going to be able to play with some certain teams, even if they're good enough. But BJ, one game, I, 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 listen, listen, two words, you know, two words, Peach Bowl. You see, you put Cincinnati in there with freaking Georgia for one game. Uh-oh, Georgia just happened to have the elite kicker because – the better DBs that day, that would be Cincinnati. They, they, they go. Their DB, their DBs, their two corners might go, might go. You know, top, top forty, top forty, top sixty. But what I love about football is when there is no safety net. If I, if it's week two, I got week three, week four, week five, week six. If it's week seven, I got week eight, week nine. When it's winter, go home. Uh oh. How are you gonna call plays? How are you gonna play? And BJ, this is the thing too, really about the Iowa. You know what Big Ten football is? It is boring. It is slow. But guess what? If they make it, that's what we got to watch. Oh, my God. They finna hand the ball off again and again and again. You got a bunch of linebackers named Wisniewski and all this. But guess what? They hit hard and they run fast. BJ, we love college football first, right? We are fans of college football first. And the story, you told me this. You know, you being a writer, you say, listen, stories write themselves. Well, I believe that in football, too. We wrote our own story, man. Go look at it. And that's what the college football play. It forces us to go read books. I mean, we read Ohio State every year. We read we read Alabama every year. We read Clemson every year. We read Georgia every year. Man, this Cincinnati story is just compelling. It is, yeah. I mean, it's Iowa story, man. I know they got you know I know they got a bunch of corn out there, but guess you know I just I mean I'm just on oh, potatoes. I'm sorry. Oh, that's Idaho. I'm they ain't even they ain't even Iowa. I I just, I just think that BJ for me, it's like this. If I get to college, right? If people if people look at me. As a guy that can't, that should come in ready, I wasn't ready as, in my first year. I wasn't ready in my second. I start, it started clicking my third, and I put it together my fourth. That's what certain teams, like said, they got, hey, dude, it took us a little while to get to this level. But guess what? We here. We got a first-round caliber quarterback. We got first-round BBs. We got a, a, a high-caliber team. Yes, our division might not be sexy, but, boy, if you got the players, ask Georgia. About how good we and – and, and isn't it like this, OBJ, when Georgia, Georgia losing where people didn't play? People didn't play last year for Georgia. They still won. Did Georgia say anything? So don't give me the nonsense. Give me the teams that earned it. And, BJ, if they're good enough to be in the top four, give it to them. Because as long as Alabama's in there, I don't think it matters who the other three is. Because if you can't beat Alabama, does it really matter anyway? We'll find out soon enough.
We'll come back with more three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. That, the way this offense is going, wrap it up. You're at three now. If you can get it to four or five, the advantage in the NL East, it'd feel great. Uh, but I think Atlanta's found their rhythm again, been a little bit here down the stretch, and that magic number is 10. Combination of Braves wins or Phillies losses, and you have a fourth straight division title. BJ, I mean, obviously you know how I want this thing to end, but I think this Braves team has did what they were supposed to, right? Put themselves in and give themselves a fighter chance and uh, and make sure they're the one being chased. It's much easier to try to keep a lead than to try to, than to, try to regain the lead, so – Shout out to them Braves, uh, BJ, for, uh, for doing what they need to do to put themselves uh, in, the win- in the winner's position. Hope they can keep it up. And root for the Orioles. Took Philly into uh, extra innings, almost said overtime, into extra innings last night. But Atlanta, you need 10 games that are a combination of the Braves winning or the Phillies losing, and you will have a division championship. We'll have that for you later tonight. And no no afternoon show tomorrow. No three and out, no second down, I don't believe, as you will have uh, Braves pregame coverage leading up to the finale of the series. We will see you on Friday, three and out, ESPNCoastal.com.